It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesternino back here to preview some Survivor contestants. A random group of six people that we are going to talk about here today with a man who got to speak firsthand with these very Survivor players, of course. He does outstanding work for Parade.com and many different podcast ventures across post-show recaps. And Rob is a podcast. Give it up for Mike Bloom. Beautiful morning, Rob. The sun is shining. The birds are tweeting. There's a lot of birds. There's the a birds lot of birds hexing. this season. Yeah. Listen, I don't I don't want to start our coverage by me patting myself on the back here, but can we just flash back to the salad days of May 2023 when you and I prognosticated what the Survivor 44 reunion would look like? And I think the last question we asked was what will be on the logo of Survivor 45. I took a literal shot in the dark, tried to capitalize on uh, an inside joke from back during, I think, our David versus Goliath days and said, oh, I think a bird will be on there. I did not realize the Hitchcockian amount of birds that would be taking place across season 45. Why? I know there's some birds in the logo. Are there a lot of birds from uh, what you've seen from early Survivor 45? Well, listen, what I will say, and this will also couch perhaps why we are talking about these six particular people, is that at the moment we are speaking, CBS has not officially announced what the tribe divisions are of these 18 contestants for Survivor 45. But look, if you've been watching the marketing materials, if you've been seeing all the uh, Give Me Shelter commercials that have aired throughout the entire summer between Big Weird Brother episodes. Weird music cue, right? I can't remember. The only other time that I can remember like them licensing a music track to promote a Survivor season was in season 26, Survivor Caramoan. They were advertising the Survivor season. I remember this ad campaign well that they licensed Ozzy Osbourne Crazy Train. Yes. Oh, I remember that they now. Had, they were bringing back Philip and Brandon, and Brandon. Yeah, I, I remember that now. You just unlocked a sense memory mm -hmm. that I now want to put back away behind that vault. It's a rare thing, but they are really hyping this up. I believe they said in said commercials that this is the biggest season of the world's greatest game. They're clearly not taking yeah. the season 30 approach of it's just our 45th season. So mm -hmm. listen, call yeah. the Rolling Stones, arguably the grittiest band out there. I guess the so. Season. I guess they're coming back. Uh, they're like much like Survivor. They, never they don't go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the song Gimme Shelter. But I just feel like that. I don't think I've ever heard that song anywhere outside of like the soundtrack to like a Vietnam movie. Yeah, I mean, listen, when your lyrics talk about rape and murder, maybe it shouldn't necessarily be associated with a show that is very adamant about being aimed towards children, but they haven't reached those lyrics. They're only using like the 30 second snatch. All that being said, if you pay attention to that, if you even look at the one minute videos that have been posted since the cast drop, that we'll certainly get into as we talk through these cast members. You may notice, you may put some clues together to see some similar colored buffs. So 
What I will say is I am not yellow in a manner of speaking to group these six people together. This is the fantasy, the multiverse we're living in, where if these six particular people were on a tribe together, yeah. how might they interact? And I, I, a little scuttlebutt has told me that the iconography on the logo is not going to stop there, that I do believe the tribes this season are also named after birds. Omer Zahir is like, why couldn't I have been on 45? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so we're going to watch six interviews here today. We'll weigh in with our commentary on anything that is particularly interesting. We will also, for people that are listening to this podcast but don't enjoy this, either the sound of our voice or our constant interruptions. <laughs> well, I feel uh, bad for you because my voice is very much onset interviews, ooh, though. <laughs> okay. All right, we're going to do a raw, unedited version of these six cast interviews that we're going to post on our YouTube channel. Rob is a website.com slash subscribe. We should have that up uh, very soon for you. So uh, if it's too irritating, I don't think we've gotten too many complaints over the years since we've done this. No. And I think certainly the idea of us stopping down and talking things through, I think is kind of the reason for the season in a manner of speaking to talk through our thoughts in the moment. Of course, you and I did a general cast overview where we gave our sort of Quick and dirty thoughts in the moment. I gave some very basic overview about these people. Suffice it to say, we have much, much more to comb through on an individual basis. I did these interviews face-to-face with these contestants, which are now lengthening from about 15 to 20 minutes. We have the bios we can talk through. We have the one-minute videos. We have some Dalton Ross pieces as well. Even some extracurricular stuff for those that are known outside of the show. So, We're going to try to now use these podcasts to package as much as we can everything you need to know about these contestants and subsequently how you and I think they might do in this game based on that. Yeah. All right. So, Mike, do we have a word for our interjections that we will come out with? I'm so glad you asked. I invoked the name before, but I reached out to Omer Zahir. In a bird-themed season, I thought it only be appropriate that our safe words be the names of birds. Now, when I asked Omer, he did reply with some full-bloom names Hmm. and some more safe names. Which bucket would you rather go with? I mean, let me hear them all. Let me hear them all. And then... Uh, well, we yeah, can make so, a decision because this so is, I, I think like we, we just try to say it's family podcast. Yeah. Well, if we're going with the red band version, we of course have, he suggested Titmouse, mm, bo- mm, Booby, no, and no. Dick Kissel. L- let's hear the regular ones. Uh, we have Heron, yeah. Owl, and Goshawk. Okay. And we only have those three for the. I mean, we can, we can look up some other birds if you want to. <laughs> List right. of birds. You want All me to right. Google that? All right, let's try a bird for today. And then if people have other suggestions for other interjection words or safe words, then people can uh, submit them for the future editions. All right. How about we go with something that strides both of these categories? Because I don't want to uh, defenstrate Omer too much and turn down his suggestions. How about swallow? Can swallow be our safe word for today? Okay. All right, fine. You're swallowing that. (laughs) Fine, swallow, okay? Perfect. Well, let me just give a few quick disclaimers before we jump into the nitty-gritty about, again, the grittiest season of Survivor ever. I want to give a couple of disclaimers here. So, again, I was very fortunate that this time around, of course, in 41 through 44, uh, I got to send in a list of questions that were asked 
by a producer to the contestants while they were waiting out the pregame before the season starts. Then in, uh, in, in the post, I went in, edited my voice, asking the questions essentially to make it as seamless of a conversation as possible. This time around, the seams are off. I yeah. got to talk to these contestants. That being said, it was done over Zoom. And of course, as we have learned basically since 2020, mm -hmm. that can come with its own technological restraints. We are going to be watching these video versions. So I will caution people, there may be times when there will be odd little cuts to, you know, uh, okay. almost looking at a, a different time. There might be random questions that get cut off. I tried my best to sort of edit around any lag that might be happening, any pauses, any glitches in tech. It's far from perfect, but I think it is definitely suitable sure. to get the points across okay. that these and people are making. you were able to ask like follow-up questions, right? You didn't yep. have to stick to your script. So, okay. Yeah. So maybe you did your interjections in the real time. Yeah. And so I know that Dalton sort of packages his materials as he's been doing uh, even as of yesterday in sort of just putting everyone together, asking them the same question. I certainly asked a lot of similar questions, but it was a bit more of a back and forth. Yeah. That also being said, the way that Zoom works from a recording perspective sometimes is that it will cut to the person who yeah. is speaking. So there may be some points where the person is speaking, and for whatever reason, the camera hangs on my ugly mug. Come on. So again, Don't I apologize. talk about my friend Mike like that. Well, listen, the, these people are hot. You know, that's why they're cast on Survivor. They're not even island hot. They're just regular hot. So I, I apologize if there's I was going to say not anymore. But I'm, what I will say is that, Mike, that we do not just cast people for aesthetic purposes anymore. Uh, to the chagrin, I think, of some people on yeah. the Survivor fandom. Yeah. You know, back in the day, it's like, hey, let's, you know, this person is a zero, but they're hot. We don't do yeah, that I mean, anymore. Listen, I love your season, but it's fair to say that was like 40% of the casting behind that. Mm -hmm. Listen, Mike, don't talk about how I got on Survivor, okay? <laughs> yeah, Bryant Gumble isn't exactly uh, complimenting the, the cast of Survivor nowadays. <laughs> no right. videos he's watching in his trailer. Just another distinction, just in case uh, we did not make it clear in the past for the last four seasons of The New Era that we listened to audio that was recorded mm -hmm. from the contestants. We are actually going to be watching the video of their responses here today. So this is a little bit something different. If you're watching the YouTube video, you will be seeing double mic blown. You're not wearing the yes. same shirt as you did in this. No, I was wearing the same shirt I wear yesterday, though, okay. just to throw people off even more. But no, the Hawaiian shirt-wearing Mike Bloom, that's the past Mike Bloom. The polo-wearing Mike Bloom is the present Mike Bloom. Okay, all right. So are you ready to bring in our first contestant and his popular guy, yeah. Brandon Donlin, is here. We are starting with a bang here. Arguably the person who garnered the most acclaim upon being officially announced as a Survivor cast member. We're talking about Brandon Donlin. Brandon yes. is uh, from Sicklerville, New Jersey, born there as well. He's 26 years old. He is a content producer. Now, Rob, I know you asked me yesterday, yeah. what does that mean? I tried to do some deep dive research. I went to his LinkedIn page even straight out of the uh, Are You the One Rehap Up style. Hasn't shed any further mm. light. Uh, he currently works at Temple University, but as a content producer with okay. no log line or job description All attached. Right, maybe we'll have to go to the Temple University account to see what he does. All right, so here he is. Uh, he is uh, wearing a shirt that matches the wall decoration here at the Ponderosa. 
Yeah, it works really nicely that uh, ours were done indoors just because we wanted to sort of preface or prefer the audio and connection, I think, above the jungle aesthetic of it all. Plus, uh, a lot of people told me, actually, they were very grateful to be in the air conditioning because okay. this will be one, one of the last times they enjoy it. So I'm glad to give them some creature comforts. I'm really excited to talk with Brandon. You'll see from the jump how much passion this guy has for just being there yeah. in general. I won't put too many words in his mouth. I was so grateful to get to talk with Brandon in Sequester and then later to talk with him in the days before him playing Survivor in Fiji. Okay, here we go. Here is Michael. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Swallow. I'll be the first to admit this is a little weird with double Mike Bloom. <laughs> do you want me to hide my face? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. This is, how do you think this feels for me, mm-hmm. Rob? Yeah. Do you, will you duck about- out of frame while you're talking on the interview? Should I wear a mask? Uh, yeah, I mean, do you think, like, listen, we're going to talk to a very anxious person, arguably one of the most anxious people we've had in you're Survivor history. You're talking Mike Bloom? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling that way as well. I'm watching my own game footage right now. Yep. And I don't know how I feel about it. Okay, all right, here we go. Is this, are we meeting for the underground sandwich exchange or are we we're doing a podcast? Listen, you're going to be wishing. Swallow, a throwback to the Renap uh, chat GPT random bracket. Yes, and so this quite literally dates when the podcast was done. I believe it was the end of April, if I recall correctly. I could give an exact bracket date. season, Mike. It's yeah, in the me- and, and, uh, yeah, and so, carbon and so we had just yeah. finished up here. So that was the most recent image of Mike Bloom in his mind. Besides, again, as you see from the freeze frame, the beautiful image that he faces in this current moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, th- that So Brandon's interview is 20 minutes. We can't keep stopping every five seconds. We've stopped <laughs> twice in 13 seconds. So we'll be here all day. All right. For a sandwich very, very soon. So I, I think you're, you want that idea to manifest as soon as possible. Hello, sir. Oh good good oh, to see you, you man. My God. I can't believe it. I've been looking forward to literally talking. I'm going to cry. I've been looking forward to talking to you this whole week. Genuinely. It's just, it's just been the Mike Bloom interview that I wanted to talk to. I can't believe it. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Look at us. Who would have thought? How are you doing right now, man? I mean, you are you're bubbling with excitement right now. Uh, your face is nearly the color of your shirt. Like, how how you how's everything going at the moment for you? It's you know this. I'm not gonna lie to you. The pregame has been so hard. I mean, it's, mm. this is the pregame is you, you you can't imagine the show will be harder than the pregame. But the pregame is like you're you're sitting around these people that you know you're gonna be playing this game with. You can't talk. You're, 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 you're kind of, everybody's in a different corner of the area that we're in. It's been six days of this. I am such an extreme extrovert that I am dying. I'm dying. You know, mm-hmm. we're sleeping in tents. That's a whole situation. The food's great. If you have the chance to come to Ponderosa and eat the food, it's Ponderosa okay. it's fantastic, but it's just, you know, I'm dying. Inside. I just can't wait to talk to somebody and just let all of this out because I'm, you know, that's why you're here. Um, I'm just, I'm going crazy. I can't believe it. Well, let's start, you know, loosening the valve here. Let the the steam go. So for the uninitiated, wow. why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Yes. Um, I'm going to, this is crazy that I'm doing this. This is like, I just, can I just, <laughs> non sequitur. I like listen to these things when I'm walking or when I'm running. I cannot believe that I'm in one. I'm going to be taking a, a lap around the neighborhood. I'm going to be listening to this. Um, it's unbelievable. Swallow. Hey, Brandon. Uh, Brandon, Brandon yeah. I hope your walk's going well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be careful. Okay. Hydrate. Don't trip. Yeah. Don't get distracted. <laughs> My name is Brandon Donlin. I'm 25 years old. I'm a content writer and I live in Sicklerville, New Jersey. So what brings you out onto Survivor? Obviously due to our, you know, association with each other, we know that you're, you're a fan of this game, but what made you decide 
to go from Survivor fan to Survivor player? So I saw Survivor for the first time when I was 11 years old, September, I believe 25th of 2008, 25th or 26th. I'm not sure. I wish I would have written that down before I got here. Um, I watched the first episode of Gabon. My teacher mentioned it earlier in the day. She was new to the school and I was a kiss ass. I wanted her to like me. So I just watched the show arbitrarily to make her like me. And within five minutes, my jaw was on the floor and my eyes were wide. I was seeing this. It felt to me, and I've cited this for many years in audition videos, it was a religious experience. Somebody somewhere was showing me this thing saying, this is going to change your life. You just have mm. to let me know you want in. And I wanted it. And I knew that I wanted it. And I swallow. Mike, do we want our teachers telling our young people to watch Survivor Gabon? Uh, well, I wonder if perhaps the scatological element of the elephant dung was what got branded into Survivor. <laughs> yes. I think of all the episodes, this is the perfect one. Is there? Is it possible? Because I know that he works as a substitute teacher now. This, could this have been a time-traveling Randy Bailey who went back in time to get Brandon to watch the first episode of Survivor Gabon? Now, the question is, is this an older Randy Bailey or a younger Randy Bailey? Older. I don't know. Older. It's it, older. It's pr like Br Randy Bailey from the future. I don't know if like that version of Randy Bailey, to be honest, like walked into my life is like, you better watch the show on Thursday at eight. They're going to eat ants. A uh, boxer's going to flirt with a gamer. You're going to love it. You're going to see Bob Crowley's varicose veins in HD. I don't know if I'm taking that bait personally. Eight o'clock CBS. It'll change your life, kid. Trust me. That this handsome man will bump his head and have a garish bandage across his forehead for the majority of the game. You're going to love it. Since then, that was 15 years ago. Since I've sent in videos then. before I was eligible to play. Like very annoying for the casting team. I've apologized to a couple of them during this process. Like you have to watch 11 year old me, but I've been sending in videos, you know, since 18, since I was legally eligible to play. I heard nothing for years. You know, I, I kept going and going. And in September of 2021, I got the call that I was waiting for this whole time. You know, I would read Reddit threads. It was like, what was the first call like? You know, and then I got the first call. I got to do the process. I was very close to being on Survivor 44. That ultimately didn't work out. And I was very sad, but I had this overwhelming sense of peace that I still feel now. Like this was going to happen for me, you know. And in yeah. August of 2022, I got the final call saying, I was, you know, you want to do this again? You want to try this process out again? And I told him, I told Caitlin Moore, who's the best. Yeah, I told her on the phone, I will die or I will do this process every year, whatever comes first. Like you, you pick, oh my God. you know, I'll do this every year. <laughs> I don't know. Don't make them pick. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. My yeah, I probably should. That's not the best ultimatum to give them. But I, I mean, they picked this one. So that's great. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to pick the other one. Um, so yeah, I threw the whole last couple months, I've tried to get myself here and now, you know, I, I can't believe it. And just, you know, again, non sequitur, I, on Sunday, I am petrified of flying. It is my least favorite thing in the world. I'm so, so scared. On Sunday, my lifelong dream of 15 years, I called my mom in the hotel. I said, I'm not going, I'm not getting on the plane. Like I will not fly this, you know? And my mom was like, I was like, will you be disappointed in me if I leave right now? And she said, I won't be, but you will be. So you need mm -hmm. to get on the plane. Um, so then I got on the plane and I was gripped to the seat. I'm sure my castmates were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? I was literally like this the whole time um, for 11 hours. But I'm here, you know, seeing everybody in the airport and then being here. Like, I almost missed this. This is incredible. This is literally like I'm with a Survivor cast, you know, and I'm not in an autograph signing in the, you know, the NoHo Hotel in New York. You know, I'm, I'm here with these people. It's unbelievable to me. So I, I'm, I'm this is a very long answer to your question, but I'm so beyond happy right now. Swallow. So he got on the plane, Rob. He got on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, look at, at the fact that this guy is two forms in my perspective. You have someone who, to say he's a super duper fan, 
is probably putting it mildly. I might go so far as to say, like, he is the biggest fan that has ever played this game. Move over, Adam Klein. In his one-minute CBS video, he has these photos he's taken with Jeremy, with Andrea. There's this footage of him, like, as that 11-year-old child getting a Survivor t-shirt for Christmas. At the NoHo Hotel? Yeah, the NoHo Hank Hotel. Uh, he has uh, he has a shrine of memorabilia that he showed off yesterday. But still, this man who has been waiting 15 years to the point where he was applying for the show when he was a tween nearly didn't come because he had this paranoia, this abject fear of flying. And he does say in his one-minute video that I want to be the person that Survivor can turn me into. And I feel like that's going to be the narrative of Brandon on this show is like, I love this show. I have no idea how well-equipped I am for a lot of the stuff involved in this show, but let's see if we can turn a coal into diamond. Okay. All right. Let's go back to Brandon. I know that uh, at least wrote down ahead of time that you are a content creator. I know you've talked a bit about like working social media for, for various companies, getting out of college and certainly something that you kind of pride yourself on. So I can imagine that has also kind of probably influenced the way that you approach this application process as well, right? Like that is a form of content creation. You're about to become like a very different type of content creator, hopefully 26 days worth. Yeah. Well, I was going to say sell fab fit fun tea on Instagram after this, but yeah, I want to, I want to create, you know, a lot of content in the next 26 days, but yeah, you know, the audition process is interesting and I can't wait to, you know, talk about the things that I've learned throughout it. You know, Zach Wurtenberger, I think put the best video that I've ever seen about how to do the survivor casting process, everything that he says, I kind of echo, but it is a thing that you have to kind of practice. It's not something, mm-hmm. you know, if you're Bryce and Bryce or Mike Turner that can send the iPhone video of 30, 15 seconds and then get on. That's fantastic. But a lot of the folks aren't like that. A lot of people don't have that thing. So if you want to get on this and you want to get noticed, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of meticulous practicing and cutting and making sure there's not a weird space or gap, whatever. Um, and the video that that I sent, you know, worked, which I was elated. It was three minutes too long. I, I definitely exceeded the time frame. but maybe just do that. Nobody's telling you you can't do that. Just do whatever you want. Swap. Pick a lane. Am I getting rid of a, a weird silence or am I going three minutes too long on the video? Poor K no los dos, you know, yeah. uh, definitely cut out the chaff. But this if, is if my you got content creator. <laughs> well, they do say from a writing perspective, right? Always write too much and then edit liberally. <laughs> so I think just he didn't edit particularly liberally. He applied a certain dose to it. But if he felt that at the end it was all wheat, that he had gotten all the chaff off of mm-hmm. it. Listen, uh, yeah, maybe not the best piece of advice of like, yeah, just do whatever. If they like you, they like you. But I guess he was going almost in the opposite side of the gradient yeah. from Mike Turner sending in that 30 second video of him on a roof. <laughs> okay. All right. Back to Brandon. Um, so that worked out. All right. Well, let's tap into your survivor history test here. Give me one winner and one non-winner that you most closely associate with, whether it be gameplay, personal, what have you. Um, my winner is Mike White from Dave vs. Goliath. I think that we should all just start saying that he won. I don't. I, if enough of us do it, they'll change the Wikipedia page. They'll cut the tapes. Um, Mike White is my favorite Survivor player, and I think that um, you know his game, his 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 funny mixed with his social, mixed with his confessionals, all of that is just Chef's kiss to me. So he, I'm saying, are, are you just jockeying for a role on White Lotus season three? Be, be honest with Dalton, me. Dalton just said that. No, it's, this is I, this is before the White Lotus. I, I love that people would say I that. Been done, you know, season two of Enlightened. Um, this is before the White Lotus. This is a long-standing take. I have tweeted it. Um, Mike White was robbed. You know, fantastic. Um, and then I guess my non-winner. You know, again, I don't want to be a kiss ass. Like this is not me kissing ass. 
But, you know, the guy that you're going to be doing this podcast with in a couple months, I think him, you know, I think that he is somebody that I am kind of, I watched the first couple episodes of Amazon and, you know, I'm kind of basing that off. I mean, maybe not all, but, but, you know, working really hard at the camp and not giving anybody a reason to look at you in a, in a way that isn't, you know, unsavory. I want to be everybody's friend. I want to do what everybody tells me to do. And I want to be, you know, very much team player. That's my mm. kind of, you know. That's my that's my game plan for the first and you know the confessionals days, man. I mean, that's like I'm out here because I want to do confessionals. I, I you know I don't want to do confessionals, with big brother. I want to do them here with a nice you know pretty scenery. But I want I really want to do a I want to I want to I want a compilation at the end of this. It's like my highlight tape. It's like the Brandon Dolan confessional hour. That's that that's the that's the dream. Swallow, Swallow. yeah. Well, don't worry. Fan cams are already being made of you, buddy. So we'll work the, on them. The yeah. Brandon Donlin confessional hour has just begun. And I mean, Mike, you know me. I mean, the consummate team player, you know, work hard around the camp. I mean, that's basically like me in a nutshell. I mean, to be fair, that was, that was you the first couple of episodes of mm -hmm. Amazon, I feel like, which was just put your head down. All these other young guys are making a bunch sure. of noise. Roger's arguing with Alex. And as a result, you found yourself sitting in the middle for yeah. those first couple of votes. Yeah, go with the flow is really, uh, I would say, the best advice. Now, the tough thing is, obviously, that was a tribe of eight versus a tribe of six, which is negligible, but also, like, we are in this hyper-aware new era of Survivor. And so the tough thing is, like, can you sit back? Especially because, like, let me uh, not put the cart before the horse too much, but I am really glad we are starting with this particular group because if they were to be on a tribe, this would be by far the hot mess tribe of the season. Okay. This is Artika. We love this it. Our Ua, like these people are full of some of the biggest personalities in the cast combined with like maybe some of the most flawed uh, challenge skill sets that we have. There is a very good chance they are going to crash and burn lovingly. So I love all these people. So I want to see them go back to tribal council. And that might be tougher to blend in the background for when you consistently visit Jeff Probst every few days. Okay. All right. Back to Brandon. Yeah. What has your prep been like for this? Because obviously, you know, super fan would be putting your status mildly. What have been the things you've been trying to do to try to like fully prepare yourself the most you can for whatever Jeff is about to throw at you? I have two gym memberships, which is double the amount that I've ever had before in my life, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, I was swimming a lot. I have a friend, um, one of my oldest friends uh, went to college for swimming. So he came out and showed me how to kind of refine my stuff, refine my, my technique. And I asked at the end, I said, am I a good swimmer? And he was like, yeah, you're okay. Which is much better than I thought I was. So I will take it. That is, I'm an okay swimmer. You know, um, I learned how to make fire. I, my, my sister, who's great, got a, me a fire pit for Christmas that I've had my flint in every day, kind of whittling away. Um, so I think I've been doing it in my driveway, which probably I look like an insane person, but um, that's been my prep. I've been watching a lot of, there's a, there's a, I think it's Survivor Geek on YouTube, puts all of the Survivor challenges up. So I watched mm. every new era challenge and I had a spreadsheet of, can I do this or can I not do this? And there's only like five or six that I don't think I can do, but like, let's hope we don't get those, you know, let's hope, you know, and if I do, I'm going to do it. This is all about, you know, leaving my comfort zone. So if I get those, I'm in, but let's hope we don't. What is your one life experience that you feel like has prepared you to play a game like Survivor? I, um, in college, early college, I had, uh, you know, 90 ish pounds of, uh, you know, LBs I didn't really want on me. And a, a lot of the reason for losing that was to eventually come here and do this. I wanted to be wow. somebody who not only could get on the show, but get here and compete and thrive and be able to, you know, I want that immunity necklace from Jeff 
so bad. I want him to put it on. I want, you know, again, I, I think the actual winner of, of Dave vs. Goliath said that he was going to use it as a safer profile picture. I'm not quoting him, but I want the picture of me and Jeff to, you know, have the thing and, and stand like this. I, I, I want it all, you know, and I'm not going to get that. I wasn't going to get that in the shape that I was in just because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in shape, right? I wasn't somebody who could, you know, be a contender here. I mean, now I kind of feel like I can be like, I, I, I for the first time in my adult life, I feel like I can actually come out here and, and be somebody who's not going to be looked at as the weaker person, which is ideal. Swallow. Yeah, so to that point, how do you think you will be perceived? Sorry, about I love, I love Brandon firing up the time laser here in his preseason already to rewrite history as to who truly won David versus Goliath. Just going back to that Mike White of it all, mm -hmm. absolutely audacious, but like when you have the platform, do what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so he's going to use his bully pulpit to, uh, but then maybe like don't quote the 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 guy you're trying to erase from history, or just try to make a Mandela effect happen mm -hmm. and try to associate the quote with yourself, right? Like who's mm -hmm. that guy? Oh, Mick Bilson, I think his name is. No, I'm the one who wanted to make their Facebook profile picture me with Jeff posing with the necklace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right by others because i mean even the look you have right go now back man, a couple you sort of seconds have, here yeah well, the brandon's perception i mean even the look you have right one. now man you sort of have like the long-haired ozzy-esque hair but then you also have this bright colorful you know goofy <laughs> yeah. shirt on what is the perception you're hoping to aim for in the game i have no idea and i should have worked on that before i got here i have no <laughs> idea what people think of what when they see me you know i think glasses often 99 percent of the time indicate nerd right there mm -hmm. are nerds here. there's a couple guys who are just nerds dweebs you know fools you know and i i wonder if i'm lumped in with them but this is this is much like this is a different look right and i don't know how i'm coming across again me being on the plane holding onto the seat the whole time i think that i might be giving anxious i might be serving anxious energy out here but i hope that people you know i i'm so curious because everybody's taking notes right everybody's got a whole list of their things writing you know initials and what they think of them i'm so curious to hear what my spread is i really don't know but i think that that's something that i plan to when i'm on the beach kind of assess and adapt i don't know what people think of me here i'm i'm i'm, I'm curious to hear about it but once i know what that thing is I can use whatever that thing is to my advantage. Well, I want to bring that sense of anxiety from the airport to the beach for you because you did give a quote in this little blurb that you sent before from John Mulaney of, I need everybody all day long to like me so much. Paranoia will destroy you in this game. Like, how much are you trying to genuinely curb that gut telling you to freak out about something versus trying to not present that to allies that might scare them off? Before I came out here, I asked my friends what their biggest, you know, advice, piece of advice for me was, right? And a lot of them shared the same sentiment that was like, just stop being so anxious. Like, enjoy this. Don't worry as much. You know, when I go on vacation with my friends, with my girlfriend, with my family, I am worried the entire time. I'm worried about the flight before I get on the flight. I hate being on the flight. I get off the flight. I'm worried about where we're going to eat dinner. You know, I'm, I'm worried after dinner that I'm not going to, I'm going to get acid reflux if I do something too soon. Like, I don't have fun, right? And this is... This is my life dream. I have to have fun. And I have to kind of, when I, I notice anxiety, not fun, right? Anxiety is the, the counter to my fun. So I have to just let go and let God here. You know, I, I told somebody here that this all feels very predetermined to me, you know, that I'm here. I, I feel when I see this group, this is my group. You know, and I feel this overwhelming sense of peace is like, I don't know how I'm going to do with this. I hope I do well. Some people don't do well. Seven people have to not make the jury, right? There's eight people that have to make the jury. There's three people that make the final three. I don't know where I'm going to end up in that, but I feel like 
I want to spend as much time with this group as possible. I want to have a lot of fun and I want to go back home loving this experience, loving all the people that I was with and loving all of the coverage as well. So when it comes to this group of people that you are with, your group, as you say, determined by the survivor gods, what what facets are you looking for in an alliance, ideally? Who are you trying to eyeball from a characteristic perspective as like, this is someone I could go far with to hopefully guarantee myself that million dollar check? I, when I was doing the casting process, I have this big brained idea of the Breakfast Club Alliance, which is getting the people on my team that are not normally associated with each other in terms of the game. You know, I don't want two nerds. I don't want two big guys. I want, I want Swallow. two. You know, Jeff's going to love that reference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not only is it a boomer reference, but it's a metaphor. Like, this is the Brandon the writer coming out. Talk as long as you want yeah. to about the Breakfast Club. Uh, of course, you know, the like Survivor the 26 South day Breakfast Club. Is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. Now, I guess, would Jeff be the principal here? Is he <laughs> yeah, asking what yeah. the rec- what's, what's the ruckus going on? At you Tribal just bought Council? yourself two more weeks of detention, <laughs> which is another half of a season. You're coming back. Now, I guess the question is, like, Brandon, to his point about you perception, with the like, bull, Brandon. You got the horns. <laughs> he does kind of have the face of Anthony Michael Hall, but he has the bender hair. So I wonder what he's going to end up being. Yeah, I think he's more of the bender. Yeah. Covered, I don't know if Brandon's going to be yeah. talking about smoke up, kid. I got a Survivor yeah. t-shirt for Christmas. We're covering from it my soon own on man. 40 years greater. Yeah. Okay. Four, four is ideal in the Travis sex. I want the four people that I think, you know, we're different folks. We can, you know, if we lose two people, we lose two people. But once we get to the merge, we can run it and people won't expect it. People want to group folks together that are normally grouped together. They're people that they see that they've seen together on the show before. And I kind of want to break that mold and introduce the breakfast club. And then in the event that I win or get voted out, I can do the hand thing and people will go crazy for it, which is ideal. Yes, exactly. And hopefully nobody will forget about yeah. you. Uh, well, let me put you and perhaps these castaways in, you know, a bit of a pregame judgment mode because you talk about these these geeks, these fools that you're walking around with. Is there anybody in particular, just based on assessments, that you are either all eyeballing as like, if I wind up with the same buff as them, I want to work with them, or this person's all giving me red flags, I don't want to associate with them whatsoever? I'll give you a couple. There is there's one guy here, very tall, very nerd, right? He's dweeb sitting. You'll meet him. He goes, oh my God. Um, he, if he is on my team, one of us is going to leave first. I am, I am hundred percent sure of it. You know, I, I see that guy and we are, you know, everybody here is smiling at each other. We are not smiling at each other. We know we are both praying that we're not together. I, I, I can tell, um, there's that guy. I don't want that guy. You'll meet that guy. You'll say, oh my God, that's that guy. Um, there's a Swallow. guy here. Well, like, well, who's yeah. That so guy? let's, let's, that, let's, let's that, have some fun with this. Is that Drew? Uh, yeah, so this is the fun thing. And I know that Dalton and I ended up asking the same question, but I actually, before uh, talking with these people, which I double-checked, I actually talked with them on, of all things, tax day. I talked with them on April 15th <laughs> uh, was when, so again. An important day for many survivors. Yes, uh, hopefully, at least 44 of them, or 42, mm-hmm. I should say. Uh, so before doing these interviews, I actually reached out to the aforementioned Zach Wurtenberger, and I asked him, was there something in retrospect you wished was asked to you in your preseason press? And what Zach invoked was one of the questions that, of course, was done by the great Josh Wiggler when he was on the Survivor beat of essentially assess the people that you are currently at Ponderosa with. Of course, the contestants are all inhabiting the same space, but they are allowed not allowed to speak or interact with each other. So this is very fun, right? First impressions based on watching their behaviors, looks, etc., 
And there's going to be a fun sort of game within the game, Rob, especially with a couple of people in this particular batch, where we can try to break out the whiteboard and decode who is talking about whom. In this case, I got to imagine Dweeb City is true. And okay. I guess good news for Brandon in this multiverse, he is not on the same tribe as Dweeb City. He's a neighboring town to Dweeb City. Okay. An afro. He's got a big, beautiful smile. He's smiling at everybody. He's talking about Caleb. He's talking about Caleb, who he may or may not be on a tribe with. So let's see what he has okay. to say. And he's got it. The thing you need to have in this game, I've, you know, I've been at events where I've met, you know, Harvey, you know, I've met Harvey very briefly, but there's an aura around some people. He's got what that is. I can tell, you know, and there's going to be, you know, there's an RHEP draft for a winner pick. Pick that guy. <laughs> Go see that guy. Somebody should lock down that guy fast. You know, I hope you Good pick call. me, but like, yeah. if you don't, that guy's where you want to go. Um, those are the two people. There's another girl here, very nerdy girl who brought a Nintendo DS and is playing a Nintendo DS in the pregame. I haven't seen a Nintendo DS since 2009. I'm so thrilled that she has one and brought it. And she is really into it. She's going hard with the DS. Um, and I keep I keep making looks over like, wow, that's really cool. I so, do we know who that is? Is that Emily? Yes. Let's put a pin in that because uh, it will be addressed very, very soon. And uh, I know we had Jesse and James in season 43, but it's possible we might have a team rocket forming within this very group. Okay. I don't have any, I can tell she's playing Pokemon. I can tell by the card. I uh, I hope that uh, I can, I can, you know, fake some Pokemon knowledge. That'd be ideal. Oh, absolutely. Got to catch them all in terms of allies. <laughs> uh, let me throw a scenario out to you. Stoke a bit of those survivor anxieties. So you're on your tribe in the pre-merge. A boat pulls up at your camp says, we need one person to go on a journey. What is your strategy there? Do you want to volunteer? Are you trying to get someone else to go on your behalf? Because now we know sort of the positives and negatives that can come with going on these journeys. I adamantly do not want to go. I don't want, I want every inch of the survivor experience. I don't want that one. Keep that one. That one's fine. I want to be at the camp. I want to chat with people. You know, I don't even plan to look for idols either. Like I, I want to convey to my team that I am a team player. I mean, you know, like Brian Corden from Survivor Guatemala, who won the most team spirit at that, that weird auction they did in episode four for some reason. I want to do that, right? I want to be the guy who's like, I want us all to be together. If somebody wants to go to the journey and there will be people on my team, I'm sure, who really want to go in the guys that they will get something good at the journey. Please be my guest. It's like a the, the analogy that I thought of is like a trampoline in your backyard. You know, you don't want to be the person that has a trampoline in your backyard because then people are using you. They want to get to the trampoline. They don't like you. They like the trampoline, you know. But if you're friends with a guy that has the trampoline, you're golden. You can go over, you can schmooze, you know. That's what I want. I don't want any trampoline in my backyard. Interesting. So you're going to try to almost sniff out not advantages, but the people who have them and then be able to sort of associate with that. That's, and I've already thought of like in the ideal or in the situation where I see a beware advantage, I'm not picking it up. I'm going to go get somebody. I'm going to walk and chat about life or loss or whatever. And then like, oh, they eye it and they grab it so I can see what it is. I don't want anything on my hands. You know, if there were normal idols here, which they're, you know, sometimes how, you don't know anymore, you know, then I'd be all in. But now this beware thing, I'd rather somebody else in the event that it's bad. I want that. I want to know what it is. And I don't want to be the guy who has it. Swallow. Swallow. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like that. I think that's a, a pretty good way to go. I mean, we have not really seen that, you know, having the advantages is something that has uh, been, you know, a, a real winning play for people. I mean, um, knowing where they are, knowledge is power, of course. Uh, you know, we saw that, you know, Jesse knew where a lot of the things were in season 43 that served him well. So I, I like this. 
I might push back a bit because I do feel like while was I think Marianne and I guess Gabler, if you count the idol he got during the journey, are the only two people to have won with an idol in their possession or an advantage. I do think it's monumental in the pre-merge where even if people know what you have, that basically gives you blanket immunity for the entirety of the pre-merge, you know, with the exception of what happened with Brandon last season, who is going to go for somebody that has this public knowledge idol, because that's essentially like the shot in the dark, kind of throwing away your vote. So I do agree that I think like, I I like the trampoline analogy. Mm -hmm. Again, Jeff's going to gobble this down uh, swallow style, but this idea of, okay, I don't want to be the one who has the idol necessarily, because maybe that'll, again, foist me into the paranoia-fueled world that I don't want to exist in, but I want to be aware of it so I can plan exactly. But I do think there is value in having an advantage, at least in this first part of the game, where, in my opinion, Brandon would be the most vulnerable. The thing that gives me pause is that I went back during season 44 and took a look at like the people that lost their votes in the pre-merge. And while it did not really impact those people directly, like the best friends of the people, the closest allies of the people that did lose their vote. So if somebody does find some sort of like a beware advantage and becomes a person who loses their vote and you are seen as a tight ally of them, often it's the person who's the friend of the person who lost the vote who ends up being the person who ends up going home in these pre-merge situations. Totally agree. And actually, you will not be the uh, last person to say that on this particular podcast. Okay. Someone else in the 45 cast clocked that as well. I'm really glad, and I will completely credit you. This was a question that you came up with uh, before I ended up uh, doing these interviews here. And I hope this is something that Rob's fact checker can kind of keep track of, because I think we're going to have it immediately apply in the opening episode and you will see obviously a variety of answers here you see someone like brandon being adamantly not wanting to go wanting to present himself as the team player not individualistic whatsoever suffice to say not everyone will believe in that philosophy okay a couple more minutes with brandon what is your biggest survivor hot take i'm very intrigued in particular with you as to you know what feisty opinions you might have about the show you know we're, we're survivor community Twitter guys, you know, yeah. Christine, who is great. Christine has her Stanawatu podcast, right? Mm-hmm, G worthy, awesome, right? Fiji forever. When I am done this, I am doing the edge of extinction recap podcast. The survivor edge of extinction is one of the top 15 best seasons of the show. I am obsessed with it. There are people here who are walking around with merch that have edge of extinction on the shirt, on the hat. I'm like, when I'm done here, I want it. I will buy it. I'm going to win money here. Give it to me. You know, I think it seems like they have a lot of excess of that. You know, it seems like maybe they don't sell well in the, in the CBSR, but I want it. You know, I am such a big fan. You know, you ignore the guy who's in QAnon and then the winners uh, fine, but everybody winner, you know, Good luck on Challenge USA, too. But everybody else is fantastic. It's a really, really good season. I think the people who are fun are so fun. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm all in on the edge of extinction. Not the thing, but the, the, the season. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask your favorite moment in Survivor history. Does it come from Edge of Extinction? Are we talking pilots and passengers? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. No, actually, I will give you, I will tell you my favorite Survivor moment. But my one of my favorite moments ever is from the edge of extinction. When Reem is voted out. And she's walking and she sees those two signs. It's so funny because like the production office was hoping this would be a big moment and nobody really talked about it. But I loved it is they see the two signs of like, go this way. If you want to keep going, you can leave right now. And she has a second and she thinks about it. She's like, okay. And she grabs the torch and goes, that is so cool. Goosebumps right now when I'm talking about it. Goosebumps when I watch it. It's fantastic. 
Um, my favorite starter moment of all well, time. Let me just uh, add in, you know, we went back and it was actually very mm-hmm. low on the top 40 season yeah. countdown. But I did say at the time, I thought that it uh, was actually pretty underrated overall edge of extinction. I just feel like that for Brandon, like, you know, top 15, like, uh, you know, this is yeah, a that's, lukewarm take. Like, uh, go, inc- go big or go home. I don't know. If we're including season 45, Rob, that's the top third, top third. of Survivor seasons. That's, like, pretty dang mm-hmm. good. I also like him using the logic of, like, you know when they send the memorabilia from the Super Bowl losers to, like, third world countries of, mm-hmm. like, well, no one's going to want to use this, that he feels that's the same philosophy with Edge of Extinction. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to Brandon. Time is the final six of Cambodia when Keith tells Kimmy... I will leave. He's like, send me to the house. If you've got young kids, you should stay. That is okay. what that is what Survivor is to me, right? This is a human experience. I I've so this is my I've written in my journal. This is my family now. Like these are the people, some of these people are gonna be at my wedding, right? We're gonna get matching tattoos potentially. We don't know, you know. And I love the idea of somebody that you can know for such this short time in such a you know, very specific experience, a very hard experience. You can feel so strongly about that person that you are ready to to be sent to the house as opposed to keep going in the game. I love that. I'm not going to do that. That's what Dalton asked me. He's like, will you do that? No, I don't want to do that. If somebody wants to leave for me, that's fantastic. But I would rather somebody else leave for that. All right, last question. Speaking of family, you know how I'm going to finish this up. You've been listening to these interviews. Celebrity or fictional character as a loved one, who you got? I am here. I don't know what date it is. I think it's April 16th, 17th. On April 19th, the Power Rangers 30th season reunion thing comes out on Netflix. I am mm. so sad that I'm here. Like, that is the only bad part about being here is I'm going to miss it. Um, my my celebrity loved one is Zordon. I want him to be wheeled out canonically. <laughs> I, want somebody to, I want Jeff to have to get like three guys to just wheel him out. Um, I know he's canonically dead. Shout out to Countdown to Destruction and Power Rangers in Space, which is a joke for five people who are going to listen to this. But I am all in on Zordon. I think Zordon is my final answer. Well, hopefully, whether they be Breakfast Club or Power Rangers, you're able to find your group, move forward, dispatch with all the putties and be able to become the true dinosaur that you are at the end of it. It's so great to see you, man. I cannot wait to see what you're about to bring to this game. I wish you calmness, peace, yet fun to your point at the end of the day. And I'm looking forward to talking, you know, several months from now, hopefully when you have a million dollar check attached to your name. Can you believe it? I'm going to cry. What are you telling you? This is crazy. Okay, there you go. That's Brandon. That's Brandon. I, I, just, I just need like Brandon. It's a as great nothing but Netflix episode that we got to do. Yeah, so maybe he'll be able to to cover that once he's a. Uh, maybe if they do another Power Rangers anniversary special, be able to get him in because he seems to be a big fan to the point that he wants the giant cylindrical bald head of Zordon to come out and talk in his like reverby low voice. Just I don't know, like telling him what to do. Zordon never seemed very like caring or therapeutic to me, but maybe I just haven't watched enough Power Rangers. Yeah, same. That big same for me. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a bit about Brandon because I will say. Getting to know him personally in this interview, he is an absolute delight. Again, like I just feel maybe personally so relatable to him, someone who has this energy, but subsequent anxiety just bouncing off the wall. Incredibly excited to be here, but also having so much unknown in front of him, which honestly feels very different in my opinion than a lot of the super duper archetypes that get cast on this show. The deep fans that he's like, Hey, yeah, my favorite moment isn't really a strategic maneuver. It's Reem no-selling the edge of extinction. It's Keith uh, saying that he'd go to the house. And I think that's going to be the type of flavor that Brandon brings. Not to say that he's not going to be strategic. He brought up the Breakfast Club. 
But I think that we're going to get more vibes out of Brandon, more character yeah. stuff than perhaps the game bodiness that you might expect from a super. Yeah, fan. I think that he has like Jam Jam upside and mm. while he is uh, like and, not, they, and they didn't see Jam Jam win. So he's got they didn't that see Jam that Jam idea. win. But like and, uh, you know, he has, you know, a very fun shirt uh, like Jam Jam. But I think that Jam Jam is somebody who knows the game particularly well, um, but also like masks that in like I am a nerd, but I'm a personality. And so where there are other people that like as Brandon himself clocked, OK, these are the people that you have to watch out for. These are the survivor nerds. I'm more of a nerd in like a big personality clothing. And so I do think that if Brandon goes on to be the winner of the season, I do think that we would look at him similarly to like the way that Jam Jam played uh, the season 44. Yeah, I mean, it might be entirely cosmetic, but the hair helps him so much, assumingly not even in casting. And he has had his hair short before. Uh, he has posted that this is not his first time gracing the screens of reality television. He actually asked a question during a Champs versus Stars reunion on MTV for the oh. challenge. Uh, and so I think he's going to come across to spoil a bit as to like what the other players think of him as like very unassuming, very jovial. Maybe it's just the hair, Rob, and the lost brain that's consistently running in my mind. I get big Hurley energy yeah. off of this guy. Like there is this underlying anxiety, but I think the energy he presents is like self-effacing yet colorful. He talks about in his one minute video that the advice his girlfriend gave him was be yourself, make people laugh and you'll be fine. And I agree with that. I think he has the right head for the pre-merge where he could ordinarily get targeted if he's running around doing too much if he if he has to be that super fan that's like i've gotta go on the journey i've gotta find an idol bucket list mm -hmm. bucket list bucket list that's gonna draw a lot of attention on him but even if he is indeed able to just like settle back as much as he's allowed to from his own paranoid state and like just try to fit in with everybody else it helps as we'll talk about that i think he has some similar personalities that he can join up with i think he's in a good standing yeah. for the pre-merge the post-merge might be a little tougher because we even saw this with Jam Jam. He was a target a couple of times because he was seen as so amiable, as so personable. I could see that happen and maybe Brandon would be able to mask that. Maybe like, no, no, I'm a paranoid mess. Who's going to vote for me in the end? But I do think this is somebody that I hope certainly we will see last a long time in this game. Okay, Mike, who is up next? All right, let's move on to the person that Brandon was targeting playing the DS, a gamer in her own right. Let's talk about investment analyst Emily Flippin. Emily is 28. Uh, she's originally from Texas, currently lives in Maryland. Okay, all right. So let's go ahead and hear from Emily, okay? And let me bring her up. And uh, here is... Emily. Nice to meet you, Emily. Um, sorry, you come eating an Oreo. Hold on, you want to? You want to? Uh, totally fine. Uh, understandable Oreos. What are you gonna do? Well, I was gonna say like, oh, I'm taunting you, but like, you have the time to like cram all the food you need to before you slow yeah, yourself, I, right? I, yeah. Here's the thing. My strategy was to slowly, you know, pull away the food so that my stomach would shrink a little bit and I wouldn't be so jarred. But what I didn't expect was for the last week to be sitting here doing nothing for the most part um, with there's a bunch of food sitting in front of me. So all I've been doing is eating and I'm, I'm really screwed for tomorrow. 
<laughs> well, uh, before we get into all that, just give me like the, the quick bio line, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Yeah, I'm from Maryland. I originally from Texas, but I live in Maryland now and I'm an investment analyst. So I pick stocks for a living. Interesting. So you think that's going to translate to hopefully picking the right allies as well? There's so many different investing metaphors I could pull out. Um, and I kind of want to be like, yeah, where you invest your time, where you invest your energy, like who you invest, like your, yeah, like allies with, but like really the best, you know, bad metaphor, but it, it truly is like, you know, kind of the way that I, I'm going to manage my game here in survivors is managing emotions. Um, and I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but, uh, you know, the number one reason why retail investors tend to underperform the market is because they let their emotions get the better of them when they're making huh. investment decisions, right? Like they get FOMO, um, they see a stock go down and they're like, I have to sell it. And the type of investing I do, it's not day trading. It's not technical analysis. It's like long-term buy and hold investing. And I'm going to buy this great company and hold it for five or 10 years. Um, and that means putting your emotions aside and focusing on the long-term goal. And I see so many people watching Survivor who like, you know, they they let their short-term emotions like control their decision-making, whatever they're feeling in the moment. And it sacrifices the strategy that they had for the long-term game. So my the way that I'm now connecting my stock picking to the game of Survivor is like, okay, let's set aside the emotions that I'm feeling in this exact moment to figure out how do I get myself to the final wow. three and how do I win this game? Swallow. Swallow. See, I, I told you Mike, she did a better yeah. job explaining this than I did. Mike, get her on the uh, Stockwatch podcast. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think if she's talking about long-term analysis, she might be a bit of a safer rating than perhaps uh, the people I've been doing on the Stockwatch as of late. Not, not a lot of womp-womps going on with Emily. So yeah, as she explains, I think it's a really salient way of viewing things, especially from an alliance perspective, that she works primarily in long-term investments. And even though it's not as much of a long-term game in terms of days compared to the previous 40 seasons, this idea of, okay, I want to lock down a ride or die. You're my day one to day 26. Emily has probably one of the most proficient backgrounds in being able to manage that because she works all the time, probably with clients that are calling her being like, oh, should I drop this asset from my portfolio? It just dipped a few points. I don't know if I should stick around with it. And she is the one to, I think, assuage the turbulent waters of emotion to say, we need to write it out. We'll be fine. And I wonder if that's going to translate to wow. Emily possibly being like the most tribe strong person. If somehow this group, should they be a tribe, ends up like in the plurality at the merge, is she going to be sort of like the the Brandon or Lauren of the Rot twos being like, no, listen, we committed to something. We're going to stick it out. We're fine. Don't worry about all these fun new stocks that are popping up on your ticker. Just stick with your investments. Okay. All right. Let's go back to Emily. Love that answer. So, so then tell me, what made you decide to go from, you know, barren bull to snakes and rats? What made you decide Survivor was the game for you? Yeah, well, let's be clear here. Um, there's a lot of survival skills that I lack. I'm not in great shape. I'm not great at making fire. I don't know how to build a, a tent, a, you know, a shelter. I don't even know the right terminology. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are just better equipped to come into the game of Survivor than I am. I'm already sunburned. I've been here for like two days. Um, so that tells you a lot. Uh, but when I think about why I applied, it's not because I was like, yeah, I, I need to learn all these survival skills. I actually think that I was reflecting on my life and, you know, decided that at some point 
I had what was at one point just like a really crazy, interesting life where I was doing all of these cool things. And then suddenly all of these big questions, right? Like, who am I going to be with? Where am I going to live? What job am I going to do? They all suddenly were very far behind me. Like I've been in a relationship with the same guy for almost a decade. I've been working the same job for like six years. Wow. I've been living in the same place. I I just bought a house. Like, and I'll, like all of these things are just like, wow, this is, this is so suburban almost like not what I expected for my life. And so I had, I guess, a crisis one day and I was like, you know what I should do? I should apply for Survivor. Um, and literally that same day or the next day, I can't remember, but very shortly after I applied, I got an email back that I was like, hey, so we kind of liked your video. And that's when I was like, oh shit, <laughs> what did I just get myself into? There Swallow. you go. That's like the day. I believe it was Janet Koth from your season, Rob, who said for anybody who's looking to change their life, don't go on Survivor, get your hair dyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, look, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, Mike, uh, look at you quoting that so some would call her the winner of my season. I mean, she called herself the winner at life, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that counts. I thought she yeah. said go to club med. Oh, uh, maybe. I thought she said something about dying her I hair don't know. as well. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, Emily, I think might, uh, she would admit firsthand that she probably fits in better at club med. And this is what I was saying before where, Again, I think Emily is one of the most interesting contestants we have this season in that she would admit on the surface there are a lot of flaws that might contribute to her being an early target. And that might still be the case. Again, I speak to this tribe being a bit of a hot mess. And if they decide to go with a bit more conventional means of booting people early on, they might look at someone who's already sunburned, who doesn't know the difference between a shelter and a tent. But again, mm -hmm. we've seen in this new era that those conventions are certainly being bucked. And it's also interesting to see Emily's POV coming in here because there are certainly people, and we'll talk about a couple of them in this season, who are feeling like, this is a pivotal point in my life. So let me capitalize on they that and do that. something. Yeah, something as wild as Survivor. People like Emily, and we'll talk about Katora as well, are the exact opposite. They're like, I've taken roots Right now, I have a very, you know, storied career. I'm in a stable relationship. I just bought a house. I want to shake things up. I mm -hmm. want to do something different. And it's so interesting to see. That's why I love this question, to see what are the different stages in people's lives that make them feel like, yeah, being in my underwear for nearly a month on an island in Fiji, starved half to death, is what I want to do. Okay. All right. Back to Emily. After hangover, right, from the survivor application process. So, honestly, exactly. <laughs> well, for, well, when it comes to, I guess, getting on the wagon with the show, what's your history with it? How long have you been watching the show before you applied? Yeah, I've been watching it my entire life. My grandfather actually applied to be on the very first season of Survivor. He didn't get on, obviously, um, but it's just been a part of my, my family. I, so many Survivor stories start off that way, right? Like your family sits down to watch Survivor together. Um, so I've been watching it. There's a lot of people who are super fans, right? Like they're building the puzzles. I've seen that in the most recent season, like 3D modeling their puzzles or building it in their backyard. They can name the boot order of every contestant in every season. I'm not so far gone as a super fan to have done far any gone. of that. But I love watching the show. I think it's really kind of the ultimate challenge. Unlike, I watch a lot of reality TV, trust me. It's like my favorite hobby. Um, but unlike all the other shows that I watch, it's the only show I'd ever in my life consider applying for because I truly see it as a, a challenge, right? Especially for somebody like me who otherwise lacks the skill to uh, survive on an island. Swallow. So, listen, I'm not going to ask. Yeah, so Emily's grandfather applied for this first season of Survivor. Rob? Could it be the case that Emily's grandfather is none other than Dan Foley? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Where think is she about from? it. Dan Where Foley, is she from? 
He she's from Maryland, s- not from Maine, or she's yeah, from but, Texas. Yeah. Listen, they could they could move, right? They could be distances apart. Dan Foley infamously said, "Flippers never win." Did he actually mistake himself Flippins and say, "Flippers never, Flippins win? never yeah. win"? And he yeah. was prognosticating his granddaughter being on the show. Yeah. Okay. Now she says that her favorite hobby is watching reality TV. Yet uh, her bio says that her favorite hobbies are doting over her cat, playing video games, and meal prepping. Yeah, I'm not sure what doting over your cat means. Is it just like watching them in in the wild in a manner of speaking? Is it actually playing with them? Yeah, I think it's sort of like holding them and like doing things for them. Yeah, I guess doting maybe implies some sort of like actual interaction with them rather mm-hmm. than just watching, watching them. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's uh, she, yeah, doting Emily, over the live feeds. Yeah, Emily loves when the feeds are down. That's her favorite part of the Big Brother experience. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she loves that part. Okay, all right. Back to Emily, Okay ask you to name the boot order of every contestant, but can you give me a survivor winner and a non-winner that you identify with the most strategically, personally, however you want to do that? Yeah, I'll start with the non-winner first because I think it's more interesting. And it's not somebody that I would have associated with until I went through this application process. And as I was going through the psych testing, the personality test, uh, the psychologist told me, hey, your your test results, they remind me like a lot of Cass's, uh, like chaos Cass. <laughs> and um, at first I was like, excuse me? But then it, I was like, wait, that is such a compliment. And, and watching her seasons back, it's, it's kind of frustrating almost that she is perceived by many people to be a villain because I mm. like so many aspects of her personality. She's really direct, honest, intense, aggressive, all of these things um, that I think I kind of associate with, especially as a woman where so many of those personality traits are looked down on almost or perceived as too masculine. And I like the fact that she took no bullshit. And I don't know if I'm going to get out there on the island stripped of everything and be as awesome as Cass was. I think that's like a really high expectation. But if I could be 50% Cass, I feel like that would have achieved my my goals because she really is kind of in my ideas, a survivor icon, somebody that I, I kind of associate with. Um, Mm. In terms of winners, I'm going to take the cop out and say Sandra. And I know that she is the easiest winner to pull out because obviously she's won so many times and she's the queen of Survivor. And I'll fight that battle. It's not poverty. It's Sandra. Um, (laughs) Okay. Genuinely, for the same reasons that I like Cass, I like Sandra, which is that she's honest, direct, aggressive, uh, you know, has a lot of personality traits that I see in myself. And as a narcissistic person who likes myself, I like seeing people who remind me of myself winning Survivor. Okay. Let's swallow. Yeah. Wow. F poverty. And I said that shit. Yeah. Um, I do believe that Cass herself, I think, uh, probably would say something similar. And so that boy, I'm liking Emily more and more. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about this Cass Association, because, yeah, I think she did a really good job breaking down, despite one contestant saying memorably that she had a zero percent chance of winning the game. I think when you sort of separate that aspect from like the personality of cast not only was she so much fun to watch as a player but i do think there are some interesting qualities that can be in there as well the fact that she doesn't take any bs that again she's really direct really honest and really intense and again on the surface this might be looked at as like nope you're rubbing too much against the grain get out but again i feel like in this new era these qualities are looked upon a bit more favorably, maybe because there's so much else going on for other people to worry about that they're not so entirely concerned with like, well, we don't get along from a personality perspective. Get out of here. You're in too intense. But look, 
cast, despite those misgivings with personality, yeah. made the merge both times she played. Well, I think that a great Survivor cast is, you know, a puzzle of all sorts of different personality types. And I think that we got, you know, uh, such great disparity between these two people that we're listening to right now, yeah. where Brandon starts off and he cites a John Mulaney quote like, uh, you know, I need everybody everywhere to like me at all times. And Emily, I think much like Chaos Cast is like, yeah, I don't care. I, I, I would love it if you liked me. But if you don't like that's fine. I won't lose any yeah. sleep over it. Yeah, and it's so interesting compared to Brandon obviously has confidence in himself to get out here, but has been, again, very self-effacing of like, I don't know how people will look at me. We'll see. I'm kind of anxious about it. Emily's like, yeah, I don't care what people think about me. I've made a life for myself, a career for myself, being myself. I'm coming out here to just find a different version of myself. And so if I end up being cast, I'll end up being cast. But again, Look, if you ask her, she was one bad decision away from winning Survivor Kageyan, and hopefully Emily can mirror that experience and just make it one step further. Okay, back to Emily. Listen, it's human nature, you know? Uh, exactly. What would you say is one life experience you feel, as much as you say, like, oh, I haven't prepared for this game as much as I want to, what is one life experience that probably has prepared you the most for this? Yeah, I have to say um, it was where I did my undergraduate education. So when I was 18 years old, um, I left my home in Texas and I went to Shanghai, China to do a, as part of the inaugural class at the first joint Sino-American University in China. That's a mouthful. Um, but I did my undergraduate there. I spent four years studying there. All the classes were in English. My Chinese is terrible. Don't ask me to say anything because I'll embarrass myself. But the class, the student body was incredibly diverse. Um, lots of Chinese national students, but also students from, I think it was like 150 countries across the world, like truly incredible opportunity to you know, meet people from, I think 150, that's way too many, like 70 countries across the world, but so many great opportunities to meet people who are just so different um, than myself, who come from really diverse, like socioeconomic backgrounds, life experiences, mm. cultures, and getting along and, and finding common ground with people who are different than myself. Um, you know, it's one of those soft skills that it's really, it's easy to say, but it's different to actually experience it. And I think I have experienced it. What do you think people are going to perceive you as? Because, I mean, you just talked about an example, right, about like being in a very different type of environment. What do you think people are going to, to think about you when they first see you on that beach? I'm already getting a sense, you know, just from making eye contact with the other survivors as we're sitting here in Ponderosa about what their impressions of me may be. And I, I want to be like, oh, you know, they might see me as kind or considerate mm. or empathetic. I mean, I am, I like to think all of those things. In reality, I think what I'm being perceived as is, the personality traits that I show most directly, which is intense, aggressive, um, uptight. You know, it sounds really negative. I don't mean it to be, but yeah, I can tend to just be a lot, um, not in terms of like over the top fanatics, but just the intensity and the stress that I think I bring to a situation. I think maybe the other contestants, if they haven't already picked up on it, are going to be picking up on it. It's a stressful situation. And as much as I want to be able to stop and smell the roses and say like, I'm here for the experiences. I'm here to have a good time. Um, and I'm sure I will reflect on this and be like, Oh, it was so wonderful. I had a great time. But right now when I'm in the moment, it's all very overwhelming for me. And for a neurotic, anxious, uh, you know, stick up my butt type of person that I am, I think that that anxiety and, and intenseness is definitely rubbing off on other people. Yeah, I mean, how tough is that for you to curb, right? Like easier said than done. Is this something you are going to try to adamantly pull away as you play your game? Or is it in a game where you can only authentically be yourself after 26 days? Like, 
just got to live with it and hope that I work with people that are able to respond to it well. Yeah, you put it beautifully, which is to say, if, if I could have been anybody else, um, I would be because my life would be so much easier if I could just relax a little bit. <laughs> if, I was capable, if I was capable of unwinding and being that different person, then I would I would have done it already. Um, so I highly doubt that when I'm stripped of sleeping and food, um, you know, all of my family and, and um, social nets, that I'm positive all of that is probably going to be intensified. Um, I'll do what I can to be empathetic and considerate of other people's feelings because you never want your negative traits to negatively affect other people. But when push comes to shove, I can't hide who I am. Um, it, it's probably going to be really transparent. If I do try to hide it, everyone's going to be seeing me as, as not very genuine. I, I wear my emotions on my face. So it's, it's very obvious when I'm not being myself. My hope is, is that people can understand this is one aspect of my personality. And as they get to know me deeper, um, they're going to figure out that in addition to all of this neuroticism, I'm actually really transparent and honest and an easy person to work with because I suck at lying. So hopefully that will win me some allies or my personality may not. Wait, let me get into this a bit more because yeah, I, I, I want to focus on this. Like, are you, is it that you just are, are unskilled in it? Is that you are more so want to pursue the truth no matter how, you know, uh, hurtful or, or brutal it may be? Yeah, I, I, look, I, if I could lie, I would lie. Don't get me wrong. This game is kind of about deception. So if I was capable of, of you know, giving a good lie, then I would 100% give a good lie. And I'm sure there's going to be a time where somebody's going to say, hey, are you voting me out? And I'm going to have to say no when I know that I, I actually am. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a point where uh, I'm going to have to say a lie. You're going to be able to see right through it. Uh, and that's probably going to be something that's hard for me to control in the game is, yeah, the fact that I, I'm not a great liar. But at the same time, it's, you'll always know where you stand with me. And that's kind of an asset in a way that is maybe underappreciated initially. Yeah. Swallow. So talk to me about your competition. In a you think she's lying to me there, Rob? Now that you've watched it back, you think that she's uh, trying to, to brando me in this moment? Um, I believe that everything we've learned about Emily, I think it would speak to that, that she, you know, is not going to be able to be uh, a good liar. But, you know, I, I really, I just love this personality. You know, I, I love yeah. when the survivors are sort of like comic book characters of like, these are my superpowers. These are my weaknesses. Uh, I love it that she understands herself uh, so well. So, yes. you know, I, I am just, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to make Emily my winner pick, but I am loving that Emily is here as part of this cast. Yeah, I think she is one of the most like, self-recognized people out of this 18 and mm -hmm. that she knows her skills and her faults and how sometimes her faults can be perceived yeah. as her skills and vice versa. That being said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trepidatious. I will admit to it. I would be happy to be surprised by it, but if she's given an example where someone comes up to her and says, are you voting for me? And she goes, no, I mean, that's like, dead mm -hmm. in the water with 99% of survivor players. Now look, let's bring back Cass. Again, Corinne infamously, infamously said during their Cass assessment, right? Like Cass is a casserole. She's boring. She's probably going to go first. And again, she made it to the last boot in her season. Anything is possible. And I do feel like it's been a long time since we've seen this character type on the show that it's not like people are going to look at her and be like, that's a cast type. We got to look out for her. But also... I don't know. There's a chance as we talk about this quote unquote tribe a bit more that she may rub some people the wrong way or put herself in some hot water. If 
indeed one of the first tests of her lying. If she sent on this boat on day yeah. two and they ask her what happened, she'd be like, nothing. Yeah. I just think that she's a very refreshing casting choice in yes. the new era when everybody is so much. I love everybody. I love all these people. These are my new best friends. I could tell that I can tell after the season is over, we're all going to be best friends after each other. That yeah, but I, Brandon just said that, right? Like these people are going to be in my wedding. They're going to be my family. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Emily's looking at her competitors that way. And I love that. Like you said, it's refreshing. And I think as we'll overlook this cast, especially with the next couple of people, again, for these Survivor fans that have been clamoring for, we want more conflict. We don't want happy-go-lucky kumbaya tribes. I think especially on this tribe, we're far away from kumbaya. Uh, the kumbaya ay ay ay, more like, as Mike Turner once said. Okay, all right. All right, I think it's kumbaya. I think he said uh, more like holy, holy crap, crap ay -ay. That's what it was, <laughs> yeah. Initially. Yeah, so talk to me about your competition in a couple of ways. So when it comes to an alliance partner, a ride or die, a number one, are there any characteristics in particular that you want to look for in an alliance? Well, you know, I already told you that I like myself. So the people that give off more of me, the better. Um, I say that kind of jokingly, but it's true. It's, it's always easier to initially get along with people whose personalities you're familiar with. So somebody mm. who is kind of also open and transparent and honest would be easy for me to get along with because I kind of understand where they're coming from versus somebody who's maybe a bit cagey or, or somebody who's over the top dramatic. It's going to be harder for me because I'm going to have a harder time understanding their game. But those kind of initial impressions don't always tend to create the best alliances. They may, but you need to have a good working relationship with somebody as well. So um, I think my initial kind of impressions, what's going to get me through the first half of the game are going to be this, those vibes, right? Connecting to somebody who has personality traits that are similar to your own, um, those easy alliance pickups. But the only way you make it through the later game is by connecting with somebody who's really different than yourself, um, who mm -hmm. has a totally different strategy, who, you know, is able to bring a different perspective, surprise people when you're working together and work with somebody who is so dramatically different than you you that yeah you end up you know riding to the end together so let's go back to you know the first impressions what you're taking in from other people here at ponderosa describe to me is there any like particular person or people right now that you're eyeballing as either like a if we draw the same buff best case scenario i want to work with you or describe to me any person that's giving you any major red flags i gotta write their name down as soon as i possibly can yeah so initially there are a couple people um who are I feel like we're already kind of vibing on the same level, uh, mostly because I'm sitting here on my you know, Nintendo DS playing Pokemon and I can yep. see them kind of being envious of the fact that I have a DS. And to me, that's like, you recognize what Pokemon is. We have something in common already. And th there's a guy with like long hair, glasses and kind of a scruffy beard. Um, and he, he's just, he's good vibes all around. He's friendly. He seems to be friendly not that we can talk, but you know, friendly enough without uh, being over the top, being too much, trying to bend the rules to me, just somebody who seems very easy to work with. Um, and there's a girl who's reading books by the same author that I'm reading. She has platinum blonde hair, um, mm. really beautiful, some cool tattoos. It's like the vibes are right with some of these people. There's even a girl who's walking around in these purple Crocs and like purple jumpsuit. And she's amazing. Like, I already love you. Like anybody who's wearing purple Crocs, like we are already on the same level. But that being said, there's also some people who are just their personalities are so big that I know being the irritable person that I am, hmm. it's going to grate on me over time if we draw the same buffs. And the producers being acutely aware of 
my intense personality would be very smart for production purposes to put somebody like that on my tribe. So I'm very afraid of the fact that there's going to be somebody on my tribe who is just too much to handle, who is the type of big personality who always feels the need to be in a spotlight, always needs to say something super loud. Um, and that's going to drive me completely nutty. Okay. Well, so okay. I'm gonna put a, okay. So listen, Emily, as I said, again, may be in hot water early on. If only she has a good tribe draw. Let's talk about the people that she really vibed with. The guy who's been eyeing her DS with long hair, scruffy beard, and glasses. Would you look at that? It's the guy we just talked about, Brandon Dolan, who's reciprocating okay. those feelings. Girl with cool tattoos, platinum blonde hair, reading the same books by her favorite author. Hannah. Hey, that's the person we're talking about next, and Hannah Rose. And hey, someone with a fly-ass purple jumpsuit and purple Crocs, that's someone who will also be on her drive in Sabaya Broderick. Wow. And okay. so... If Emily is able to make these connections happen just through those good vibes early on, four into six is good. Yeah. Do you have a sense of who she might be talking about? Who is the really loud personality? I, I have a guess, but I'm not going to say it yet. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Occam's Razor would say Caleb just because, again, as we mentioned on the preview, he's going to be talked about a lot. Uh, Jake is someone else who also gets mentioned a good amount. And we'll certainly talk about this with the other people. Again, I love her sort of metagaming with the producers, probably putting that intense person she doesn't like on the tribe with her. And She's like, I this think call is bugged. I'm not saying who I don't yeah. like. I mean, considering that she talked about who she liked, I think actually she got uh, more positives than negatives, considering how the tribe draw may or may not end up being. I think at the end of this, we can prognosticate a bit what if this were a tribe what the dynamic would be. I could see her bristling with at least one person on this tribe, and I wonder if that's who she's referring to. Okay, uh, we'll see. All right, let's go back to here, the uh, last section with Emily. Couple scenarios in front of you. Let's say pre-merge, hanging out on your tribe beach, whoever it may be with, a boat shows up, guy steps off. As a tribe, you have to pick one person to send on a journey. Are you volunteering? Are you trying to like will someone else to do it? Because we know these come with both good and bad things. What's your tactic to, to approach that scenario? Yeah, what I don't want to happen is for somebody else to make the decision. Um, what I don't want is somebody good or bad to say, hey, I'm doing this or I'm not doing this. What we're going to do is we're going to do something like draw sticks. Now, we're going to make sure we don't stack the deck, as I learned last season. Um, but we're going to do something that is perceived as fair. So I'm not giving anybody kind of that initial edge in their strategy if they did or did not want to go on that. That being said, if I had my druthers, I would not want to go on that adventure, mm. mostly because what tends to happen in the modern era of Survivor is you go on that adventure and you either get an advantage or you get a disadvantage. Either way, you're coming back to your tribe and you're probably going to have to lie about it. And I feel like we've already established that I'm a really <laughs> bad liar. Um, so I feel like it's a really bad first impression for me to come back. And even if I'm being completely honest, if I know that people are like, perceiving what I'm saying as potentially a lie, it comes off like I'm lying. I'm that insecure about my inability to lie that even when I'm telling the truth, it feels like a lie and people think that I'm lying. So all, all in all, I think it would be, you know, as much as I want to, you know, go, I want to play Survivor. Of course I want to go and like hike a thing and meet new people and do all these fun things. I think realistically, it would be bad for my game if I had to be the one who went on an adventure like that. Well, let me give you a, a less anxiety-ridden scenario to finish things off. If you could pick a celebrity or a fictional character as a loved one for a loved one's visit, who would it be and why? Oh my God. I, 
I don't know why I'm saying this character. I genuinely don't. Um, but I think it's because when I was at the hotel before coming to Fiji, there was a Harry Potter marathon on. And all I did for like two days straight was watch Harry Potter. But I want to say Ron Weasley for some reason. Just a reassuring kind of character. I feel like he'd be very proud of me because I feel like his expectations for performance would be low, right? So like coming in, it wouldn't matter how bad I did on like the, you know, challenge or whatever. Ron Weasley would be thrilled for me, right? Um, and I mean, I just love Ron Weasley. So for some reason, that is the answer. And you know what? It's too late for me to change it now. So that's what there we go. It is set in stone. Listen, he's a master of wizard chess. He could teach you how to play the human chess that is Survivor as well. There you go. Next. All right, uh, Mike. That is uh, Emily. And and I will say, uh, Lauren Rimmer, probably the least biggest fan of Ron Weasley by comparison. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would have thought that Carson would have had Ron Weasley as a loved one last season. Yeah. uh, You mean, actually, probably Ginny. That'd Mm -hmm. probably be a bit bad, right? To, like, not bring your wife out. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So... There you go. There's Emily. What what else about Emily? Yeah. So uh, let's let we can get to a couple things from her own bio here. So pet peeves. Quote: Nearly everything. Chewing, snoring, arrogance, being overly serious, being mm. overly jokey. You <laughs> name it, and it probably irritates me. Yeah, you gotta aim for that happy medium, Rob. God help you if you don't. <laughs> I'm working on it, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's gonna be really interesting. I think Emily is gonna be fantastic TV. She is going to be the one, a la Cass, a la Courtney Yates, that is going to be the most snarky in confessionals, yeah. in my opinion. Just constantly complaining about people. I just, I, I love her as a character so far, oh, yeah. so I, I'm so happy that she's here. Now, what I also find interesting from her bio, what is something we would never know from looking at you? I'm not religious, but I am guided by my own very strict sense of right and wrong. Yes. That's yes. really interesting to me because we got a bit into her strategy and in particular, again, her lack of tact when it comes yeah. to being duplicitous. But this is this idea of like, I think her being very strong willed. We right. certainly talked about that with like her viewing herself. Does this mean that maybe flipping will not be a flipper? That maybe if she feels like, okay, I want to well, stay the course with these people, I'm not going to go this no, way. No, Chaos Cast famously was a, a flipper. Uh, that, mm. But she is like very like dug in in her convictions. And if she feels like that you are not, uh, you know, uh, staying true to those convictions, then she will feel justified in flipping against the people that she was with. Uh, Chappelle might call this type of person a Enneagram type one. Mm, interesting. Well, I don't know if she'll be position number one in this season. I would absolutely love it because, again, in an era that has been really predicated on big characters winning, this would be another great one. I am so excited to see Emily play no matter what. I'm a little nervous. Mm-hmm. I'll be completely honest between whether it's her feeling overwhelmed in those first few days and in a six-person tribe when they're looking for any reason to vote you out and I would imagine that this tribe, should it be a tribe, would be going to tribal pretty early on. That might be a reason to target her. I could see a situation where she gets to the middle game and maybe she's in the middle of something and either she chooses not to do something or to do something because she feels it's the right thing to do. And when asked about it, she's like, I'm not voting you out. And then they say, oh, crap, we got to get rid of her. And if she gets to the end game, there could be a possibility where, unfortunately, she has rubbed some people the wrong way and they don't necessarily feel like she should be the one to earn the million, no matter where she is placing. And if she surprises me happily so and wins the money, 
we're going to get so much good content yeah, but, out of her. And much like Chaos Cast, I think that some of those weaknesses that are liabilities potentially in the pre-merge, in the early merge, uh, become strengths as people say, okay, well, I feel like that Emily has not really curried a lot of favor. She's not beloved yeah. by the rest of our cast. So she's a great person to bring with us to the end game. And not only that, as she mentioned, that transparency really cuts both ways, where if she comes across as you will always know where I stand to my detriment, isn't that the person you want on your side mm -hmm. who will tell you who you can clock from a mile away that she's going to turn on you? That's an ally I want personally. All right, Mike, two down, four to go. Let's talk about Hannah. Yes, the doctor is in as we are getting into Hannah Rose, a 33-year-old therapist originally from Woodbridge, Connecticut, currently residing much like Emily in Maryland. Okay, all right. Let's see uh, what she has to say and let's bring in your interview with Hannah. Hey, Hannah, super excited to get to talk to you today. To start, why don't you give me your age, your occupation, and where you're from? Um, so I am from a town called Woodbridge in Connecticut, and I came down to Maryland for college. I went to Goucher College, which is like a tiny ass liberal, liberal arts school. And I've been in Maryland ever since. So that was 2008. She's not so I've lived in Maryland since ass, 2008, right? and no. I live in Baltimore City now. I uh, got my bachelor's in psychology and I always wanted to be a therapist. So then I went and got my master's at Johns Hopkins somehow in clinical mental health counseling. And I was a therapist for about five years in different settings. And then I moved into private practice just to work for myself. And then I decided, I don't think I want to be a therapist. I am burnt out on holding space for everyone else's stuff. I love my clients, but like, I love public speaking. I love musical theater. I love singing. Like I want to do that. So I own and manage a group private practice. So I transitioned into group. And so I hired about 12 therapists. And so they all see clients, but I don't, I just manage the practice and I'm kind of like figuring out what I want to do next. Interesting. And so what has led you to tread the boards of the national stage that is Survivor? What has led you to Fiji? Yeah, what has led me to Fiji was COVID. Essentially, I needed a show to binge watch and I had never watched Survivor in my life. Oh. And like, I love reality TV. Like I live for it. And, you know, I'm big, big brother fan, the challenge. And I just never watched Survivor. And I saw that they put a couple seasons on Netflix. This was about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. maybe two years, not even. And I was like, oh, this is everything like psychological in like endurance, physical, emotional, I mean, spiritual. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to apply for that. And I did, I just sent in like a 30 second video being like, Hey, on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is why I think I should be on survivor. And I just turned it over like to the universe. And I was like, we'll see what, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be and then like commence this casting process. And every step of the way, I was like, there's no way this is happening. This can't be real. Like there's no, like I didn't plan or prep for this in any way. And, and now I'm sweating my ass off in Fiji. And it's like the most humbling, I can't believe I'm here. Like I can't Hello. believe I'm here. Wait, so going back to that, Brandon is seething, hearing that all Hannah did was send in a 30-second video of her on her phone. Yeah, not to mention, yeah, that she didn't even watch Survivor until the pandemic. 
And really, I mean, COVID was like, uh, I, I don't want to say it was a good thing to happen to Survivor, but I <laughs> no, mean. No, clip it out. Had a context account. <laughs> I mean, Survivor was Suits before Suits. I mean, basically. <laughs> it's like, it's more, no, it's, it's more, more skins than Suits. <laughs> Survi yeah, Survivor is like Suits. If like Suits was still on the air, like in season 15, people like, well, I didn't even start watching Suits until it came on Netflix. And now I'm here. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, let me be a bit, uh, you know, hot here in my take and say that I think Survivor throwing a couple seasons up on Netflix in 2020 was one of the best things the show has ever done yep. from a marketing perspective. For sure. For sure. Like, I mean, it's in the top five, like, greatest things that ever happened to Survivor. Yeah, absolutely. Considering that we have people like Hannah, as I mentioned before in our cast preview, she will be far from the last person to discover Survivor during the pandemic. And I like that. Not to say that I don't love the died in the wool day one, minute one super fans, but the Survivor experience represents a breadth of watchabilities uh, of, you know, various uh, seasons watched about various times that are watched. And so I think it is very relatable to have not only one person say, yeah, I didn't really find this show until a few years ago, but to have a good wealth of people that do that, it just feels like it's hearkening to those people who did indeed find this show and that if you want to get on the show, you don't have to be someone who's watched from, you know, May 31st, 2000. Okay. All right. Back to Hannah. So going back to that prep piece. So is that, is that literal? Did you, what sort of prep did you do when you found out that you were coming out onto Survivor? So when I, when they got, gave me like the, yes, you are on 45 and a little bit before that, just in case mm. I tried like intermittent fasting and failed because I am a hungry bitch. <laughs> I just, but I tried and uh. you know, like I have a Peloton. And so I did like harder classes. I tried building up some endurance. I did a lot more um, like physical strength stuff. And then besides that, I just kind of like, I think for me, a lot of the prep has been emotional. Like I purposefully read books that were about like resilience um, in terms of emotional resilience, physical resilience, like mind over body kind of stuff. And then a lot of like just grounding, you know, like mindfulness stuff, because I think that's going to give me a huge edge if I'm able to just stay grounded out there. Cause I think people lose their marbles. So I know you're a recent convert to survivor, but a lot of contestants have played. Can you give me a winner and a non-winner that you probably identify with the most out of all these people that have played? Yes, yes. I think a non-winner, first and foremost, is like, can I do two? Can I blend oh, please. two? Okay. I mean, it's a little gruesome, Kelly but yes, please blend away. <laughs> blend Kelly Wentworth, like on this hand. I feel like my my right brain is Kelly Wentworth. My left brain is Aubrey Bracco. And like oh. those two... People me like I am their child. I'm like, hello, hi. So much I edge of extinction. You, you do have like the, the Aubrey glasses a bit. I have been noticing. <laughs> I do, and like she's, you know, she's strategic. I mean, I hope I'm these things, but like her whole vibe, and then especially like on her first season, her anxiety. I'm just like, girl, like I relate to you. And then Kelly, who is just like, you know, sees fear, sees resistance, and is just like fuck that. I'm walking through it. I'm going for it. You know, like that iconic tribal where it's like Wentworth does not count. Wentworth mm -hmm. does not. Count. Just like, I want to be you. I'm obsessed with you. So I think I'm there. Love child, weird fan fiction happening, but like, that's what I hope. Um, and then in terms of, and I don't know how either of them haven't won, but in terms of a winner, honestly, I'm going to like throw it back and say Amber, 
Boston Rob's wife. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and also full human being that doesn't only have to do with Boston Rob. Absolutely. But I feel like she was able to kind of lay low a bit, but not play it safe. And obviously this was before the era of like advantage Palooza, just driving everyone crazy. But like, I think her vibe of, you know, she did perform in the challenges, but she was strategic, but it wasn't a loud look at me strategic. It was like more sleuthy and that, that I identify with and also want to emulate. Mm. Give me swallow. All right. So Rob, listen, of the two of us, you're the one that played more with Amber Burkich Mariano. What do you think about the comparison? I mean, that's basically what everybody said that was there at the time. I think it was really she who really mm-hmm. made that point. It was uh, Lady Macbeth that uh, many, many people felt like that, you know, was really Amber's, uh, you know, under the radar game that really gave it to her in Survivor All-Stars. Listen, we're coming upon the 20-year anniversary of the season. We could look back on it with uh, rosier uh, uh, glasses or green eyes to, in the case of Amber. Yeah, yeah. You know, bless her heart. I mean, that's what uh, clearly happened in Survivor All-Stars. But I do think that's an interesting pull from her, considering that she wants to come in with this strategy of playing a bit in the back pocket, which I think... From a therapist's perspective, she does actively say in her video, she doesn't want to play like the previous two therapists in the form of Tori and Ellie in necessarily counting out or looking down perhaps upon the people that she's playing with. She doesn't want to count anybody out. But there's one thing about therapists, Rob, they are incredible listeners. And mm-hmm. I think if Hannah wants to invoke that, sit back more and listen rather than respond about things, I do think that Amber strategy comes in a bit more into play. Okay. All right. Back to Hannah. One life experience that you feel has prepared you the most for this game. I mean, in a game full of big moves, you make a pretty dang big move in deciding to pivot your career. Is that something you feel is very applicable to this type of show that is Survivor? Yeah, I, I would say that almost all of my life experiences, like when I did get cast, my family was like, yeah, this tracks for you. Like none of us are surprised. Um, and like the way that it happened also of me just being like, hey, I'm applying to Survivor. And then it's like, hey, I'm going on Survivor. <laughs> Like they were like, yeah, okay, Hannah. But I think for me, um, in terms of the physical discomfort, I think working at and going to a sleepaway summer camp, like throughout Mm. my childhood and then formative years, like summer camp changed my life, totally changed my life. And also like taught me that I can do hard things and sustain the elements. Obviously it wasn't this intense by any means, but yeah, I do feel like my experience at camp is going to is going to help me. And this is camp. I mean, this is the epitome of summer camp, just like on TV. Mm, yeah, Body I mean, games. maybe like, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a very cutthroat summer camp, but still uh, very campy at that. I, I want to go back to something else that you wrote in your yeah. little blurb here that you got sober at age 20. Talk to me about that choice. Uh, was there something that like spurred that incident on? Was that just, because uh, again, it seems like from what you've been talking about, you are someone that is willing to make these these large lifestyle choices, that being one of them. Yeah, I, I would I would say that me getting sober at 20 wasn't necessarily just like a good idea that I had. It was like very much against my will. It was very much like, my life is over. This fucking sucks. Like, I don't want to get sober. I'm only 20 years old, but I was in so much pain from my alcoholism and the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like one day I was just like, I'm going to get better. It was like, the funny thing is though, like a lot of my peers, you know, like they go to rehab and go to detox and all these things. And I was in a musical at the time in college. I was in rent. 
I was Maureen. <laughs> no big deal. Oh, and- I was going to say you have big Maureen energy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, which is like very much a compliment and also not a compliment because she's super borderline personality, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm just she puts on a hell of a performance no matter what. It's fine. She does. She's amazing. But so I was in rent and I had, you know, like a drinking thing, horrible, just like things happening and like Mm. lots of consequences. And my parents were like, we're taking you out of college. Like you need to get help. And I was like, you can't, I am Maureen in rent. I'll go get sober. And, and I didn't end up sticking to it, but that was my first introduction to recovery circles in my area. And it planted the seed. And then I studied abroad in China and shit got really bad there because of my drinking. And then I came home and I returned to those recovery circles. And yeah, I've been sober since August 28th, 2011. Swallow. (sighs) Wow. Congrats. So yeah, congratulations to uh, to Hannah as I'm about to say. I mean, I just find myself so related to this tribe. If they are a tribe between again, like Brandon's super duper fandom and anxiety and between Hannah being like, I will get sober if it means I get to be in a musical. Mm -hmm. Again, that was like my energy in college. Absolutely. And look, we know that Emily was eyeballing this, reading the same books, wants to work with her. Should be noted, not only do they currently both reside in Maryland, both of them studied abroad in China as well. The similarities continue to count up. So, okay. All right, let's keep going with Hannah. Congratulations. So all that being said... When you're out here on the island, how do you think people are going to perceive you? How do you think in the first interactions, they're going to look at you as a player, possible competitor in this game? So my hope is that besides my just like natural resting bitch face, I think people are going to look at me as like bubbly, non-threatening, you know, kind of like I look younger than I am. I'll be honest about my age, but like I look young. I can kind of sound young. You know, there's a huge part of me that's like a tween and I really want to appear non-threatening. And like, you know, I have colorful tattoos, all of which are super impulsive with almost no meaning behind any of them. You know, I have like a cartoon sloth. Like why? I don't know. Cause it's cute. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think people will, hopefully see me as someone they want to be around and someone who can like bring some comedic relief and I'm not like strategizing all of the time. And I want to let other people take the reins at first and me just kind of be like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that. And then I'm going to like come out like a viper and be like, bah. Mm. So interesting when you're talking about, you know, eyeballing people you want to work with, are there any characteristics you seek out from others? What do you desire in an Alliance partner? I desire someone, and it shouldn't be my number one thing, but like it probably is, but someone that I can just have fun with, like come up for air because this game is suffocating. It looks like, right? Like it's just so intense all of the time. And I want someone that I can remember to like come up for air with and have fun and, and trust, which is fickle in this game, but trust like on a, on a person level, um, like someone who I would be friends with outside of here because I just like their vibe, you know, like that. I want to surround myself with those people and it may not be the most strategic, but I want to be as authentic as possible while also like lying about a bunch of different things. And hopefully my authenticity attracts authenticity, you know, like real recognizes real to an extent in this game. And I think my pre sober characteristics of being manipulative as hell, like I'm going to, I'm going to use to get further in the game. Interesting, because there's also, I was about to ask about this, like occupational history, obviously. We have seen therapists like a Denise be able to use those skills really well intrapersonally. Is that something that you would like to bring into your game as well in terms of using those skills on the day-to-day with these players? 
I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's interesting when asked this question, it's like, to me, like being a therapist, isn't who I am. It's like a branch of who I am. Cause it's what I've mm. done. But like, I was this way before I became trained as a therapist in terms of being like person centered and all those things. I think my training, um, like might help, but more so it's like the, the getting sober piece. It's the camp counselor piece. It's like all these different parts of self, I think make me who I am. And Denise killed it, but recent therapists, and I can't imagine, you know, how hard it is out there, but like the recent therapists on the show, I feel like almost underestimated all the other castaways because of their therapist identity. They were like, oh no, I'm like better because I'm a therapist. And I think that's bullshit. I think there needs to be a level of humility there that like your training doesn't make you better than everyone else at all. So uh, when you're walking around, yeah, I mean, listen, as much as the producers love the as a blank type of confessionals, I, I appreciate the refreshing aspect of someone like Hannah coming in and saying, yeah, I'm a therapist, but I'm a therapist. And that there are certainly occupational I'm not things. The therapist. Exactly. Uh, because I think not only would that uh, you know, bring a lot onto her, which she didn't want to do in the first place, but this idea of, okay, I am a therapist, but that's one part of me. And truly showing her whole self in that perspective, I think allows her to orient her worldview outside of like, well, I'm imagining I'm on the job and so I'm going to utilize these soft skills. I do think that literal worldliness, the point of studying abroad in China, really helps your POV. Obviously, that helps you get onto the show if you have a unique, interesting job and a way of couching things. But I do think when you actually approach the game itself, you want to come in embracing all parts of your personality and not just viewing things to the point that she made about people like Tori and Ellie as well, the beach is just one giant couch for all these patients to sit on. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's uh, hear some more from Hannah. Found here, preseason, eyeballing these people that might be your best friend or your worst enemies for the next 26 days. Is there anybody that either you're saying, okay, this is someone who if I'm drawing the same buff as, I want to work alongside them? Or are there people that you're saying, major red flags, avoid as soon as you hit the beach together? 100% to both. Um, there are a couple people that I've absolutely pinned. Like I have like a roster in my journal. I like my fantasy draft. I'm like these people and these people. and like, these are my top picks and these are my maybes. But my like definite, like, oh my God, I hope they get voted out first. And, or I hope they're on my tribe because then I can put like a target on them are, pe- are two specific people who are very like center of attention. Even in this nonverbal Ponderosa setting, it's very much like, look at me, pick me. Like I have to go out of my way to be seen. And it's like, bro, stay in the middle of the pack. Like we get it, you know? Um, And they're just very like loud, you know? And like, I am loud, like physically, but like not when I'm trying, like this is a game and this is all part of the game. So also like people who go up for seconds before everyone else has eaten. Like, bro, it's just manners. Like, I'm Well, that's interesting because that could actually play really well into camp, right? Like when there's only so much rice to go around, if someone's taking seconds before everybody else, that can be a reason to vote someone out. Yeah, there's this one like Russell Hans looking guy who like walks around like his muscles are too big to handle. And like, he is, he is gonna, yeah. He will probably provide and he will catch fish and he will build the shelter. And then if he's on my tribe, I'm gonna aim to be like, let's get him out because like, He's going to be hangry. Well, uh, who's that, Mike? Who's the Russell Hans guy? So my best guess is Sifu. I feel like Sifu, if you're talking about like big muscles, I feel like Austin, we've certainly talked about him being a bit jacked, but he doesn't really fit that bill of the Russell Hans variety. 
I just feel like Sifu is obviously a lot bigger than Russell was, but I feel like he has that general, like, beefy quality to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so I think that's one. She said there was a couple people that were the pick-me's, as she would say. Again, I'm going to assume the other one is Caleb because what I've gleaned from a lot of these assessments over these 18 castaways is that, like, Caleb is drawing a lot of attention to himself, mm-hmm. that he's doing a bit of glad-handing without talking at Ponderosa. And I would imagine the way that Hannah described those types of people, he would fit that bill. Okay. All right. <laughs> what is your hottest survivor take you would say the your most controversial opinion about survivor <gasps> okay um this is weird and maybe supernatural but like does jeff probst age that's mm. my hot take like jeff probst is immortal so could be something in the beaches of fiji for all you know you could walk away with like your own picture of dorian gray oh my god <laughs> yeah um true i love jeff and i'm gonna respect his marriage but like i love him like, i love him I'm going to try to hug him. My other hot take of Survivor is that, yeah, Advantage Palooza sucks. Like, boil it back down to maybe some idols and that's it. Like, having all these different Advantage flying around all the time, like, it's a lot. And maybe I'm just saying that because it's scarier for me because it's more unknown. It's it's fun to watch, but it's, like, more things to manage and that's very stressful. Yeah, when it comes to advantages, right, between journeys and looking for things around camp, I mean, are you actively searching for them? Or are you just living in fear of them? I, uh, I I think I'm actively searching for them, but hopefully in a really tactful way. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, maybe I'll just tell everyone that I have to poop, but like all the time and just look for idols. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I, mean, like, gonna- I want to find the advantages. Yeah, they're going to look very sideways at, like, the food that you're eating. I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know if I should be eating that fish if she just had some before me. Uh, The last thing I want to ask is, fun question, give me a celebrity or a fictional character that you would want to bring out as a loved one for a loved one's visit. Ted Lasso. Ha! Yes! (laughs) Believe! You got to believe. I I think it'd be perfect to have out there. Yes. I mean, I could come up with so many other things, but like that's what just came up because I need that level of emotional support. Yeah, 100%. And I think, listen, he is a coach. Mm -hmm. He could give you that 11th hour pep talk when you needed it to to have you surge your way through the rest of the game. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Okay. I don't know if Ted Lasso loves talking to therapists. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I think it's more so like the Dr. Melfi therapist, right? Of like, who does the therapist see for therapy? (laughs) Okay. All right. So I think Hannah is going to be a fun personality for sure. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting to sort of see not two sides of her, but I think we saw a lot of her personality in the interview where I think she was very blunt and honest in the first part of it. But I think you saw towards the end, she was starting to make almost like Carolyn-esque odd guttural noises in Mm -hmm. responses to a lot of things. So the point that she made about like being seen as a comedic relief, I saw I saw that towards the end where she can kind of be the goofball around camp. Yeah, I feel like that maybe her vibe is also a little bit like Claire from last season in terms mm. of her energy and sort of like being like a little bit of like uh, like high energy. So I, I could see that as well. Yeah. And so if we're starting Super to sketch social, out the show. Tri- yeah. Yeah. And as we're sketching out this tribe, we still have half of it to go. But honestly, I could really see a trinity forming here with Brandon, Emily, and Hannah, those that we've talked about so far. I think that Hannah was talking about how she wanted to work with people who were authentically themselves. I think both Brandon and Emily have come forward with showing their true colors there. Now, it's a possibility. We know that Hannah uh, is one that can be blunt about people she doesn't get along with. Maybe 
she is just gonna, not going to vibe with them. Like won't breathe like in this case. But I can really see the two, the three of them fitting in really well together. Okay, Mike, let's talk about the fourth member of this tribe. Who else do we got? Oh, Canada. Here is our requisite Canadian, sole requisite Canadian of this season. We are talking about, in a season all about well, 45, we have the Afro Man, Caleb Gieberwald. Uh, he is in software sales, though, as he will say, has done a lot over his brief amount of time on this planet. 29 years old from Vancouver. Okay. I am really looking forward to hearing from him. This is also the same guy, in case you forgot, that Brandon said that people should be making their winner pick. So, mm -hmm. let's But also the person that Hannah said that she did not like, said it was a pick-me oh, well, person. That she, did she describe him? She said there was a pick-me person. She said that she thought that this was him? I mean, th again, that's my assumption. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just I'm sort of coloring it based on the stuff that other people have been saying. But yeah, that's something to keep in the back of our heads, that Caleb will be talked about a lot. He sticks out for various reasons in the preseason, and not all of them are good. Okay, all right. Uh, let's hear from the, the man himself. It's Caleb. Okay. Your your uh, your bio line, I suppose, man. Who are you? What are uh, where are you from? Yeah, my name is Caleb. I'm 28 years old from uh, Vancouver, Canada. I'm the Canadian. You're the Canadian. Yes, uh, the I am Canadian. Mike Bloom. I am a American, I suppose, uh, representing Parade and Rob has a podcast. How you doing right now? How you feeling, oh, man? Can't get good if you've been good. You know what I mean? I'm here. I'm ready. You know, I know a little bit about the uh, our half life and uh, even seeing your face once or twice. So uh, it's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure <laughs> is all mine. So I got to ask, you know, what has you out right there in Fiji? Why are you there on Survivor? I mean, there's lots of reasons. Number one, I think uh, I was a little bit offended. Uh, we had a Canadian winner in season 41, season 42. And then what do they do in 43? They access from the profile. <laughs> I mean, at, I was like at home. I was like, you know, no offense to anybody here, but classic Americans, right? I got to go out here and defend the throne a little bit. So I, that was a big motivation to, to jump in and put in my tape, but bigger than that, I feel like I'm a huge fan of the show and I'm out here to win the million dollars, you know? And the thing is like for me, I've never been qualified for anything I've ever done. So it almost feels like I'm perfectly qualified for a survivor, you know, whether getting my first job at 13 line and saying I was 16 in order to go and sling pizzas in Poco, trying to make some money, uh, starting a, uh, becoming a lifeguard, having never passed any swim lessons, <laughs> um, you know, uh, becoming wow. a, uh, becoming a start running, starting a painting business at 17, quitting the lifeguarding thing to do that, having never painted a house before but then using that to pay for all my school, all my living expenses and adding like a security arm to that business and a Christmas light arm to the business. Like I'm always just kind of figuring it out, you know? And now I'm in software sales. What's that about? <laughs> but I'm doing great there too, working remote. I hope none of his clients are listening. <laughs> uh, well, he actually touts a lot about it in his bio. He says uh, he works for a marketing company which partners with businesses to educate their communities about choosing conservative healthcare, physical therapy, chiropractic, et cetera, over addictive medication and invasive surgery. It's a mission I'm passionate about. Over the past five plus years, I've generated millions in sales, which means I'm helping thousands of patients and hundreds of local businesses. So to answer his question, that's what that's about. That's what software okay. sales is about. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's go back. Here we go. I've been doing that for five years. And so I'm just a problem solver, man. Like I just know once I get out there, I'm great with people. I'm a quick study. Like I'm going to make it work, whatever it is. 
Wow. With no offense to you, I'm kind of glad you moved on from the lifeguarding job. If you didn't take a swimming lesson before it, I feel like a lot of people's lives were unintentionally saved by you moving on from that job. <laughs> you know, I took the, the lifeguard certification courses, but I just kind of like, uh, if you're athletic enough, you can kind of get by on like not actually knowing how to tread water, you know? <laughs> Well, that being said, you know, while your resume like may be stacked in terms of various <laughs> positions, what about your Survivor resume? What's your history with watching the show? I got a little bit of a different history than the people you guys cast or they cast nowadays. I feel like uh, I'm like one of the people who hasn't been watching since I've been like two years old. You know, um, I uh, started watching Survivor. Like the thing about me is I love in TV shows and movies. I love good villains, you know, like the anti. Mm. Uh, so when I starting Survivor was an intentional thing. And what I decided to do was list out all of the best villain seasons of all time and uh, and just start going at them in order. So I watched season one, then uh, season six. See, and then I also was kind of cross-referencing uh, based on how good the season was, you know? So it was like one, six, seven, eight. Then I hit 13. Am I the villain? Yes, you're the problem. It's you. <laughs> it's me. Caleb loves the anti-hero. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this has been very therapeutic for you, Rob. I feel like the Hannah in this situation, just having you come to terms with how much people are looking upon your legacy. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Let's let, get back to Caleb. Okay. Uh, I did 16, 19, 20. At that point, I'm hooked, you know, and now I'm doing like I did Redemption Island after that. And I did uh, 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 that. I think I jumped straight into Cag on. And then I was thinking, well, I got to go back and watch the other great seasons, you know? So then mm. I did run. And then I just kind of went and filled it in all the blanks. So, like, I'm kind of this person who 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 loves, like, the thrill of the game, who loves the TV show of the game, and the people who know how to, you know, take the moment and make a great story out of it. And I'm not talking about, like, the story that you compare it to your life. Like, a story, like, you know, you tell your kids about because it was so epic. That's what I love. So if I ask you, you know, give me one winner and one non-winner that you compare yourself to, will it be those villains that led to your sort of impromptu viewing guide of Survivor? Or are you looking more so towards the hero side of things? Yeah, I mean, like, if I was to say, like, a winner and a non-winner, like, one winner who comes to mind is uh, would be, like, Tyson, for example. Mm. You know, I'm a guy who likes to have a good time, make sure everyone else is having a good time, makes a lot of jokes, is going to probably be a part of the life of the party, but at the same time have a lot of awareness, right? Uh, just from working in business and having my own business, understanding the people and using humor almost to elevate other people up. So that way I can strategically put myself in the right position of the game. I think that's what Tyson did really well. Um, winner, you can also call him the loser, you know, and same thing with the other guy I'd say is like probably like a Jeremy, right? Like mm -hmm. both winners, both losers. You play this game long enough, you know, you're going to go yeah. both ways. The reason I would say Jeremy is, as a loser is because, uh, you know, uh, he, he played an unreal game at Winners at War, in my opinion, and uh, and even in San Juan del Sur the first time. But the thing about him is, like, he's so charismatic that he's just always going to be targeted, right? I think I can empathize with that a little bit and have to align other people around me in order to not be the obvious threat in the group. That's, I think, how I relate to that game as well. Interesting. So you're going to be eyeballing some meat shields then? As soon as you hit the game, you're trying to, to cop that strategy from him? Yeah, big time. I think with me, so obviously you look at me, I mean, this might be a question you guys ask later on, like in terms of how I might be perceived, right? And, you know. I wow, he does listen to the podcast, Mike. Yeah, he's seen my face a couple times. He's clocked everything that I, I didn't even need to be there. I could have just sent him the list of questions this time. He would have answered them for me. I'm obviously going to be somebody who could easily be considered a threat. I'm athletic. I'm one of the younger people here. I'm obviously great with people, charismatic, even if I lie about my job in sales. And so instead of trying to hide from that, 
And then people kind of whispering, oh, he might be a threat. You know, my strategy is almost to be hiding in plain sight and to mm-hmm. take like this party energy and this young vibe and spread it. I want to consider myself like the, 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 the golden retriever survivor. That's kind of how I see it, you know? <laughs> Uh, they got a king, we got a queen, we got a jester. You know, I want to be the golden retriever, uh, the person that that people let into their yards, let into their home. And then eventually when I get to the foot of their bed and they fall asleep, you know, that's when I do my damage, right? What they don't realize is this dog, he was raised by wolves. And that's what I want to bring. <laughs> I love that. Just it's a, you're barking no matter what. It just depends on what the yeah. animal is. But the only way you can do that is to get people to let you in. And so that's my first stage of the game. Be the party, be really obvious. Yeah. That I'm here. I want to be. I want to be Cody on the outside and Jesse on the inside. Do you know what I mean? Like, Ooh. let them see what they want to see and not actually realize what I'm doing behind the scenes. Well, you talk about Swallow. knowing that you visually look like. I can't wait for the inner Caleb to steal the idol of the outer Caleb and betray him. Yeah, I mean, he's like the reverse mullet of that. He's you know party on the front, but uh, business in the back. Isn't that just like a toupee? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, so the golden retriever of Survivor. Now we can really break this down because honestly, I would not be surprised if this interview spreads far enough for like adoption of golden retrievers plummets because of just the Mm. horrific image of you invite me into your home. You let me sleep in your bed. That's your folly. They were raised by wolves. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting idea, which again, on paper, I think makes a lot of sense. It's very clear. Caleb presents this life of the party energy. He opens his one minute video by essentially dancing on his own Robin style uh, that he has his own heartbeat to mimic the music of his life. And he's just going to keep dancing. And mm-hmm. I think that joviality is really going to help. Hannah herself said she wants to just work with people that she can have fun with. If she vibes with Caleb, I think they can have a really good time together. The tough thing I have is how much are people going to notice this? Mm-hmm. You know, like Tyson is someone who always does so well because he is so unassuming because of this personality. And I think in a certain type of season, Kayla will be able to benefit from that. Look at what happened with Jam Jam. But in this day and age on Survivor, is that a personality type that can't not get clocked by the other players early on? See, you say early on. I feel like that it's the type of personality that gets clocked later on. I I can't remember the person, and maybe you could refresh my memory, that people said in in the new era, like, oh, my God, they were so likable. They were so charismatic. We had to get rid of them right away. Yeah, I don't think that's really like an early pre-merge type of mindset. It's usually by the by the book stuff of oh, okay, they're not contributing in challenges or a camp or we're bristling in terms of personality. I agree with you. Caleb is such a dynamite character, but to me, he screams that like sixth to eighth place energy that we usually get in the new era. If not Um, earlier. Yeah, as, as someone who, when you enter the merge, because he'll make it, he may be one of the most physically adept parts of this tribe in particular. So I think he will be seen as an asset. But then once all eyes are on him, as they are in this pre-merge aspect, I don't know how far they're going to let him go. He just seems way too dangerous. Yeah. So I feel like he's safe at first. And then the danger for him is like the middle of the game. And so we'll see. Yeah, the the only exception would be we'll get into like the the boat conundrum. But if he puts himself too far out there by being like, give me this idol, give me this advantage. If he's too hungry for that type of stuff, which kind of bristles against, again, this idea of, no, I'm just the kid here to have fun. 
that might get some people onto him earlier than suspected. Okay. All right. Back to Caleb. Like a threat. I mean, talk to me about your your preparation for this. You know, where were you getting in shape? Were you getting your mind in shape as well? What did the process look like in the months leading up to this? Yeah, great question. I mean, what was the preparation? I mean, I, I quit weightlifting probably five months ago um, and jumped into CrossFit, which is also still weight like you know weightlifting and working out, but it's a very different type of working out, right? Like you're not like putting on muscle and getting cut. You know, I was eating a lot of carbs. Like I was really trying to put on some fat, like not only to survive, but also to be able to kind of diminish that threat level again. Did some yoga, rewatched a bunch of seasons, listened to a bunch of winner interviews actually on Rob has a podcast just to get in the mind of a winner, you know? Uh, in my life, just like with businesses I run or what I do right now in sales, the best thing that you can do is like a, a smart man learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from someone else's, right? Is to, to take learnings from the people who have won the game because you put all those little pieces together in here. You know, I'm sure it's gonna be a good show. Yeah, so going back to when you gave that like illustrious resume about your, your jobs at the beginning of all this. I mean, listen, it's very easy to compare to something like a 26 day game, right? Where now we know the concept is to be that shark, always keep moving. You called yourself a problem solver. How much is that going to apply to the various amounts of problems you're going to have out on the island? Do you think you're going to be able to, to do this sort of apples to apples approach? It's a great question. I think with me, when I say problem solving, I guess, you know, I'm always kind of coming up with ways to be able to get the job done. But the thing about me is that the conventional wisdom might be like, hey, be a little bit quieter. Hey, you know, don't be so, you know, uh, fun or like try and become everyone's best friend. Like that doesn't work here. And mm -hmm. I never really listen to the wisdom and I always try and bring myself. And I think by doing that and trying to solve these problems, I, it's, a, it's a really potent cocktail because even if I'm not trying to, for example, run a million dollar business, I'm going to try and have so much fun, make so many stories and memories out of this that it, it, it's going to connect with a lot of people in a way that just running the best business might not. Yeah. One time when I was in, uh, when I was running my business, right. Uh, I started like a, a, a local, uh, a running program at a local high school, like a running club. So if you, I could have kids uh, run and, and hang door hangers for free, for free marketing. <laughs> or uh, another time I like Photoshopped a photo of myself and I made it a second person with me in the same photo. And I'll show it to homeowners and she's into my twin brother, Jamal. <laughs> And uh, I'll tell Wait, him like, twin you, you pretended you had a twin brother. Yeah. And that way I'll be like, he works for me. He's like my production guy. And that way, whenever I'd be like dropping off ladders at 2 a.m., they'd be like, you know, Caleb, were you at my house last night? I saw you like roaming around. I was like, Jamal, you know, like, I'm sorry. You know, you try and give your family opportunities. <laughs> and this is what comes like. I'm always just trying to like find like, you know, the edge of, you know, obviously what's okay. Like I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Right. But what's also going to be a really fun story and a time. And I think that not only translated really well in the business, because I think a lot of people laughed and they, they, they thought that was hilarious in hindsight. Uh, but then also even, uh, hopefully what I bring to survivor, you know, you are like Small. a modern day Tom Sawyer, man. That is, yeah, right I agree. Pass Mike. Definitely a, uh, definitely a modern day Tom Sawyer painting the fences. Like, can we just break this down? This is wild. This is wild. This is something you see on sitcoms. This is a George Glass style. Let me fabricate a completely other person that does not exist to be the fall guy for every time I screw up at my job. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, that it would be like, a, you know, a great twist for a Survivor season if they would do this. 
I mean, what I will say is he just gave his brother the name Jamal. I do feel like if you put Caleb and Jamal next to each other from IOI, like they kind of have a similar face. So obviously not a twin twist, but if they were cast on the same season together, maybe people would make uh, the same Suri and Jared Fields assumption about them. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Could could be. For sure. I just yeah. also love the idea that he's not bringing in like some random person, you know, from like a stock photo. He just literally copied and pasted himself so that they were just like a clone of mm-hmm. him that he could blame stuff on if he got to the the site where he was painting houses late. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Probably could have started a like uh, done that with the podcast of like, uh, you know, way back when say like, OK, sometimes it's going to be me. Sometimes it's going to be my brother. Yeah, I mean, listen, like, I think oh, you Natalie- didn't like that one. OK, that wasn't me. Uh, I'm going to talk to B- uh, Bob. Yeah, I mean, arguably, could Natalie and Nadia have done that where Natalie gets voted off first in Winners at War, doesn't make it to the end. It's like, well, Nadia was actually playing. So sorry. She was mm-hmm. the one that screwed it up. She was voted out first twice. She's the new Francesca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a modern day Tom Sawyer, man. That is delightful. Recruiting kids to hang signs for you. That is incredible business acumen. Let me ask about you trying to find, I guess, your like a survivor version of a Jamal out there uh, in the form of like alliance partners. Let's let's talk about that idea. What characteristics are you seeking in someone that you would hope to be a ride or die to be a number one? You know, the most important things, I think, number one is somebody who has a good control over their emotions. Like things are going to get tough right? Um, You're probably going to have your own name thrown out. And somebody who can manage that without kind of blowing their lid, stay cool, as you know, James might say from a couple seasons ago, you know, Um, you know, that that's the number one important thing for me, because I just know, like, we we need to be able to have to play under pressure. And if we can't do that, that's going to be a problem. And the second thing I would say would be uh, somebody who can also get along with a lot of other people and, you know, drive information. So I'm not the only person who's going to be out there foraging. You know, Survivor is a game where everyone's at an information deficit, right? And you're trying to put the picture together from everybody else. And so if I'm the only person who's gathering information, that's not going to be as valuable to me in an alliance partner, right? So I'm looking for somebody who can also bring that into the game as well, while the final piece being obviously somebody who I can position as a threat, you know, so that way I can uh, continue to, uh, you know, kind of invoke some of the meat shield things that we know that work. So uh, as you're walking around right now, waiting for the game to start, I mean, I would imagine you're already sizing up these people that might be your best friend, might be your worst enemy. Are there particular people that you have in mind for either like, if they draw the same buff as me, fantastic, we're good as gold, or huge red flag with this person, I do not want to, you know, get even near them. I'm putting their name down immediately in the voting booth. Uh, So first of all, I'm pretty sure I know how the guy tribes are already going to go. So, you know, just so I have it on the record here, right? Number one, there's going to be three young guys, I think, that are going to be part of the tribe. Uh, I think that's going to supposed to be me. I think we got, uh, you know, the guy who looks like he just walked out of, uh, you know, the, the a gorilla out of the, the, the Colombian jungles or uh, something like that. You know, right out of the octagon. I, I've been calling him uh, Beefcake this whole time. And then uh, the second year, you know, every season's got to have a little beefcake, you know. And then uh, the second person I have is uh, is uh, yeah, Johnny Tsunami. I've been counting, uh, calling him like the surfer version of Frosty if you watch Survivor China. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I think us three are supposed to be the guys. I'm yellow. If I think, uh, 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 you know, the, the big guy is red and the surfer is blue. That's how I think we start. Now I'm looking at who are the smart people on the tribe, right? Uh, I'm looking Small. at... Mike, is he right? He is incorrect. Uh, okay. So yeah, let's, let's track Caleb's guesses here and let's try to attribute the nicknames 
to who he might be referring yeah. to. Okay. Caleb equals Caleb. He's one for one yes. there. Yes. The the beefcake, lovingly so, is Sifu. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, much better attribution, I think, than the Russell Hans looking mm-hmm. guy. Johnny Tsunami has to be Austin. Austin. Yeah, that one's God, the easy one. Yeah. Millennial and me loves that nickname. And no, again, if we're looking at what might be seen in the marketing. Beefcake and Johnny Tsunami are both on the same tribe. Uh-oh. So already we are, uh, I guess, two for three in that way or okay. one for three. So, all right. So his shots. He, he did. He did guess that he's yellow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that was that was easy to guess based on his own laundry. OK. That Linky Blinky, you know, the really long white guy there and uh, young blood. The uh, the kid who looks like he might still be in high school. I'm not sure. Right. So I'm looking at those two as kind of the smartest people. No one else is jumping out as being super smart from the guys. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm a pretty smart guy. Maybe put myself uh, in that category of a smart person. Uh, I think that Lanky Blanky's on the red tribe. I think Young Blood is on the blue tribe. If we have Lanky Blanky and Beefcake on red, I think that we're going to have to put the weakest person here, who I've been calling Hotter Geo, uh, on that, that red tribe. <laughs> okay, right. so now so, we're, this is where right, things start to fall apart. Like, <laughs> why is Geo have to catch a stray here from Caleb? Geo's <laughs> like the whole minding his own business. Like, hey, yeah, of all people, like with no offense to Geo, like I'm just gonna throw a shot at Geo, the fifth boot from Survivor 43. Yeah, hotter Geo. Hotter <laughs> he is a villain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have Lanky Blanky. <laughs> That's Poor Drew. Drew. Drew's Drew Lanky Blanky. Drew has been nicknamed Dweeb City and Lanky Blanky so far. And we haven't even gotten to Napoleon Dynamite yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so then we have Youngblood. Which Is that could Brando? Go, I think it either might be Brando or it might be Sean. Because Brando obviously is looking young, but Sean obviously looks very young. But I guess is Sean... Hotter Geo? Sean is hotter Geo. Yeah, I'm trying to think about the other comparisons. Like, yeah, I think Sean has to be hotter Geo, which I think is wrong for many reasons. <laughs> yeah, and Sean's 35, so I don't think he's young blood in that. And also, and I will also say, Caleb's logic also falls a bit apart here where he's like, I think I'm the strong guy, but I think I'm also the smart guy that was cast on this tribe. And so yeah. he will find out soon that uh, Hotter Geo is not on the red tribe. Hotter Geo is on his own tribe. Lanky Blanky is indeed on the red tribe yeah. alongside Beefcake. Okay. I mean, Caleb, by his own admission, is a lot of times like vibes only. I'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, he's the one who firsthand said, I've never been uh, really authorized to do anything in my life. And I guess that includes trying to do the casting producer's job here. But let me just say, I adore this. I adore this so, yeah. so much. Let's hear the, the, the rest of the nicknames. Uh, and then Blue Tribe, uh, I feel like, and this is just, uh, you know, maybe like spreading out the love a little bit. Uh, if we have, uh, you know, Meat Shield on one tribe, myself on this tribe, I think Unk, you know, our, uh, our friend revisiting from, uh, you know, last mm-hmm, season. Mm-hmm. Is going to be on that blue tribe, which will leave me with uh, Wayne's World, and then hopefully, what <laughs> is Wayne's World, Brandon? Yeah, he's got to be right. Like that's the closest thing. Party ever on, done. Brandon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think he does have the anxiety of Garth. Who knows? He might have gotten his girlfriend by doing a foxy lady dance in the diner. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And Bruce is Onk. Okay, Bruce is Onk, which he'll be very happy about considering our interview that's coming up with him. But I would call him like uh, my husband. You know, hopefully my island husband out here. You know, following Jesse and Dwight. So uh, 
that is how I think the tribes are going to lay out. So I've been sending lots of vibes to those two guys, you know, mm. uh, getting myself ready. If there's somebody who I'm worried about, uh, it's the flower child. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. The one with like the earrings and everything else. And here's the thing. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. We're on the West Coast. We have all sorts of spiritualities from wicks to witches to, you know, all the other white hippies that you can find, <laughs> right? I know her. I, I, I have friends exactly like her. So I know like she's going to be like the backpacking, you know, wearing the Birkenstocks, probably from Colorado in the US. You know what I mean? Like I know <laughs> yeah. who she Nailed it. Yeah. So this is obviously who he's referring to is Kendra, who is from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. <laughs> okay is without having met her yet and i think that the danger with that is that i could be a person who epitomizes some of the things she morally is against you know things Mm. like uh consumerism things like you know uh being like a partier and like you know uh if we're not doing it for the right reasons all the time you know so i think i'm very wary of her i think she's also seems very independent and somebody who might try and drum the women together for a women's alliance of some kind considering kind of what's happened the last few seasons with women right. on these three tribes seasons. So she is the person who I'm most cautious of. And the person I'm hoping will not be on my tribe, um, mm. you know, looking across the field. Mm. Swallow. So let's say I'll put you. All right. Good news, Caleb. That's one of your accurate yep, predictions. Yep. She is not on her tribe. What a wild assumption to make though, that the mere appearance of me and what I represent is going to make you want to vote me out. I mean, listen, People certainly have axes to grind in the way that they vote and outside uh, preferences and biases get brought into the game. Mm -hmm. But I love Caleb so much. Just like no matter how correct or incorrect he is about all this stuff, just the audacity for him to come forward and make these statements is what we want in these interviews. Yeah, I agree with Caleb. I I think that Kendra may be in trouble, but I think that Kendra is going to like Caleb. I don't think that he's going to necessarily present as somebody that she's going to be like, you know, railing against. It's it's tough because Kendra's going to talk about this in my interview with her. Like she presents kind of that like intense energy when really when you get to know her, she is so warm. She is so personable. And so, yeah, this might be a bit of a mismatch between the first impression and the actual personality where maybe on the onset you're like, yeah, you're already eyeballing me as like uh, a steak dinner when really it's someone that she wants to sit down with and eat alongside. Okay, all right. Let's go back to Caleb here for the last part of his interview. In a scenario... Boat arrives at your camp. You're on your tribe, whether or not it's your correct assessment as to, you know, who you're standing alongside. Guy comes out and says, pick one person to go on a journey. Now, you being, you know, Mr. Villain here, are you taking that position? Are you trying to hand it off to somebody else? Because we've seen how positive and negative those journeys can be. What would be your strategy to that type of scenario? It depends when. Right. So in the early merge, I think it's better to hand off that responsibility. You'd rather uh, in my in my manifesto uh, due to be published never because I'm never going to publish my manifesto. It says one of the rules is make allies, then advantages, find allies and advantages. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, I'd rather spend more quality time at the camp with the team. But once the tribe harmony has been more established, maybe we're more deeper into the pre-merge, then I'm definitely going to be somebody who, if I can, try and go. If the if the other tribe is getting to pick two people uh, to go with them, for uh, I'm making eye contact the whole time because I definitely want to go. I want to play the game. I want the advantages. I want to, you know, play hard. But I also know that, you know, it, an idol with no friends is not as powerful as you may hope it would be, you know? It's yeah. it's a one a one day pass. It's not a a one season pass, and so that that's how I look at it. 
Absolutely. Last thing I got to ask, uh, you've been around these RHAP interviews, so you might know how I'm going to finish. If you could bring a celebrity or a fictional character out as your loved ones visit, who would it be and why? Um, so to me in my life, if you're having a great time, other people want to come and hang out with you. And in this game, all I want to do is drive allies to me. So I want somebody who can shit the, shoot the shit with, like someone I can shoot the shit with out of nothing, you know? Uh, so I'm thinking maybe a comedian of some kind. I'm thinking like a Dave Chappelle or like a Bill Burr, someone who doesn't take themselves that seriously. You know what I mean? Can kind of remark on what's going on here. Probably give a lot of material. And like us having such a good time, I feel like we're going to bring more people in, which is only going to help my game. Well, listen, I had a great time for what it's worth talking with you today. I can only imagine what we are about to experience both in you immediately in the next 26 days and what we're going to experience months from now. I am so pumped for you, man. Considering the schemes you came up with back in Vancouver, I don't know what you brought in your bag of tricks in Fiji, but I'm pumped to find out what's inside of it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm not calling it the bag of tricks this season. I'm calling it the tickle trunk, but there's going to be a few oh, things no, in there. We'll see how it comes trunk. out, all right? I heard, I've heard of Mr. Dress Up. <laughs> I got the reference, even as this, like, uh, you know, uninformed American. Well, I appreciate you talking with me, Caleb. All the best, and best of luck with everything with the rest of your preparation, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next with you, man. Thanks so much again. Always a pleasure, brother. Talk all soon. All right, take care, man. Have a good one. All right. Mike, that was it. Was that an epic callback or that was an independent reference to the tickle trunk? I mean, Mr. Dress Up is, I think, very popularly regarded in Canada. I don't know if it's necessarily a callback to that one time mm-hmm. that Jenny Auto mentioned it on a Big Brother Canada think tank podcast. But, and but you were on. I was on it. I don't know. He said he's seen my face a couple of times. If Big Brother Canada yeah. Think Tank 2019 yeah. if was Brandon one of them. said it, I would think that maybe it was a callback. Who knows with Caleb? Look, this is a man of mystery. God, I adore him. Again, I think that people like to come in claiming a big game. And we have certainly seen people say like, uh, I'll just Sean, for instance, like, oh, just you wait. Uh, You know, I'm going to be devious D-rad in the confessionals. This is somebody who I think legitimately could be devious. Someone who is trying to embody the most villainous aspects of what he loves about Survivor. It's the thing that got him into the show in the first place. So I think he is going to be a man of his word in that way and truly cause so much havoc and mischief over the course of this season. That makes me so, so happy. Now, as we mentioned before, I think it's going to be a tougher road for him to get to the end than maybe he might realize. I think he has a lot going for him early on. Very personable, very charming, good in challenges, which is going to make him an asset early on. Has this strategy of make allies first, then advantages, which I think is so, so key in a small game like Survivor, I just wonder when is that worm going to turn? You know, when is it going to get to that point where everyone's like, yeah, Caleb's great. Yeah, Caleb's too great. I think we got to get rid of him. Yeah. All right, Mike, let's talk about Sabaya. Yes, Sabaya, not Saboga, (laughs) though she may be wearing a similar tribe color. Sabaya is 28 years old, currently resides in your neck of the woods in North Carolina, originally from Locust Grove, Georgia, and she is a truck driver. Uh, She's been doing it for two years since she got out of the Marine Corps, and we know that Marine winners in Survivor are few but proud, and we'll Mm -hmm. see if she can add on to that. Okay, all right, let's see what Sabaya has to say. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great, and I watch your show, so this is amazing. Oh, Sabaya. Well, like likewise, I'm I'm Star Trek. I'm talking with the future winner of Survivor, so I should be. Yeah, don't you? You better know it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you start by telling me your name, your age, where you're from, and what you do? All right. Well, I'm Sabaya. I am from Locust Grove, Georgia. It's this little town about 45 minutes down south of Atlanta. And I'm a truck driver now. I'm also a Marine Corps veteran. Um, so I just got out two years ago and I've been driving ever since. Interesting. Well, first off, thank you for your service. I'm really intrigued as to how this transition ended up happening. Was this sort of a right place, right time deal? Or did you always intend to drive trucks as soon as you left the Marines? Um, I had a buddy that worked night crew with me Uh Corporal Wolf, he said that that's what he was going to do. Uh, there was a troops into transportation uh, course from the VA. And um, at the time, the trucking industry was really booming. So it was a lot of great contracts, a lot of good money. And I don't know. I just, um, once I got out, you know, I did four years. I was like, okay, well, let me just see, you know, how things are going. You know, there was a lot of politics stuff going on. And I wasn't really sure about re-enlisting. So I was like, I'm gonna just give it a breath, you know, and try to do something on the civilian side. So um, yeah, I did the class down at Fort Benning in Georgia and got my CDL and I've been driving ever since. Well, um, what made you decide to take the haul all the way out to Fiji, you know, to, oh, to drive the convoy and hopefully drive away a million dollars richer? Why Survivor? Why Survivor? Survivor is my favorite show, okay? And I've been watching it since the beginning. Um, so since I was about five or six years old. And it was always a family show. It, all we watched was this. You know, we didn't have, like, fancy cable and stuff. You know, we just had the straight-up channels. That's what we called them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, CBS is one of them. And Survivor and American Idol literally were, you know points on our family calendar throughout the day and throughout the week. Um, you know, we'd be racing home from Bible study to see who got voted off on Wednesday nights. And uh, I love, I fell in love with this show. It's, it gives you everything. It's like, you know, I'm a track and field runner by trade. And mm. I did that in college, you know, in Augusta, at Augusta State, go Jags. But um Basically, you know, I love track because it's, you know, my body Go versus your body. That's it. You know, it's not about a ball, nothing, no politics and everything. You know, it's just, OK, you run the time, you're in. If you don't, you're out, you know, yeah. and I've always respected that cut and dry version of competition. And to me, Survivor is that. But OK, now we're going to add the mental aspect. Now we're going to add the emotional aspect. Now we're going to put you in a place where you literally are, you know, hanging in the wind, you know, to the fact, <laughs> you know, it's, there's no, there's no cut and dry way to the end. It's just me <laughs> versus you and everything that makes me, me versus everything that makes you, you. And I love that. So I'm here. No, I'm here. That's an amazing way. Yeah, so let's talk about this because, yes, Sabaya is uh, a track athlete, which I think is going to come into play when it comes to the endurance aspects, certainly. Listen, 
it's not always completely worked out in mm-hmm. the case of Crystal Cox back when Brandon saw her in his first Survivor season. Yeah. Um, but what I do find interesting is that she couches this idea of like what she likes most about competition is not necessarily like a teamwork environment or the politics of it all, but more so like I can rely on myself and only myself. And I think that's just an interesting aspect to bring into the game of Survivor, especially considering early on and even from an alliance perspective, it is a lot about teamwork and internal politics. Yeah, uh, she wants to see how much uh, she can test herself and see uh, what she can handle. So I think that that is something that the show really wants to explore here in the new era. Yeah, and I think that also probably comes from the militaristic mindset as well. Again, it's interesting that she is priding so much individuality, considering that, again, I feel like the forces are all about building you as part of a unit, as part of a troop. And so that's not to say that, like, she's going to be a lone wolf or a lone golden retriever Mm -hmm. and, like, separate herself from the rest of the team. I think that she is someone who actually may be seen as, like, an outright leader on her tribe because she has that experience in, like being able to get a group unified together. One voice. Okay. All right. Let's go back to uh, Sabaya. Okay. To describe just like the general, like base human competitive element that Survivor is. And, you know, why we're all out here, not only watching the show, but sometimes participating in it. It's so well put. So looking back on, you know, all the years and seasons of Survivor history, give me one winner and one non-winner that you identify with the most personally, strategically, whatever you want to use. Mm. Okay. Non-winner first. Um, I I've been shouting her out since I got here, but I gotta go with my girl Sari. Mm-hmm. I love. Might be a big Sari. brother winner. Sari Fields. I feel like it's just this certain like endearment, like big sister, mother element and quality that she brings that is like you just fall in love and everybody that has been in an alliance with her getting towards the end, it almost becomes like her, you know, Achilles heel in a sense. And I see that in myself, I see that that could be something that could kind of end up running me a little bit wrong down the road. But I mean, how do you turn down the Southern charm? I don't know. We'll find out. (laughs) You know, I guess got to turn up the marine knobs a little bit, but I really relate to that, you know, just genuinely coming across as a people person. And if you can't tell her about, you can't, you can't say that she's like a challenge beast. You can't say that she's even, I mean, well, she orchestrated the whole Eric thing, you know, Mm -hmm. him giving up his necklace. So you could say that she's a strategic threat in that regard. She's always thinking, but you know, she plays like three, you know, there's not, there's a, a whole bunch of people that come out here and they try to play, you know, like Boston Rob, or they try to play like Tyson or whoever. It's very easy to kind of see the avatar mm. that they follow. And she's one of those people that they're really, I don't know if there has ever been another one to get as far mm. as she has with the kind of cards. It's kind of like Sandra. I mean, I don't feel like there's ever been another Sandra, even though, it's kind of remarkable the stuff she's able to do. It's like, well, lightning stroke twice for her, you know, and it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's Sandra. She's a currency, you know, out here. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so for the winner, I would have to say Tony, because mm. 
I would say I really don't feel like anyone can argue with Tony winning his seasons. Tony left it all out there. And that's how I plan to be. I, I don't plan to hold anything in the tank. When y'all get finished watching this season, I it's going to be like, yeah, well, <laughs> she won that. You know, like it's <laughs> nice. I don't, plan on, I don't plan on it being up for debate, you know, and that's one thing that I feel like is kind of like can be a fear for players. It's like, OK, well, like what if people don't think I deserved it? Like Michelle, you know, she was, you know, mm. vulnerable saying that. But I really don't feel like it'll be up for debate. I'm going to be looking for idols. I'm going to be hiding and spying on folks. I'm going to take some notes from these greats that got their million already. And then some, you know. (laughs) What would you say is one life experience that you feel has prepared you most particularly for this game? I would have to say boot camp for the Marine Corps. Mm. And that seems very extreme, but... Okay, so in boot camp, you know, it's kind of like one of those places in the earth that you only go really for that, you know, and Paris Island is a very particular temperature. Um, It's hot, muggy, and a lot of mosquitoes. So that (laughs) Fiji is just that. I'm finding that out every day, you know, and there's a place in your mind that you have to go to deal with that where you're just constantly being just bugs, bugs, bugs. And um, you don't really have much relief and you're not getting any relief. And if you ask for some, people are basically just going to laugh at you and be like, don't you know, you're in you're in boot camp. But not to mention the weather elements, but you're going to be pushed outside of your comfort zone on purpose. Um, It's the drill instructor's job to break you, you know, as a person to really just get you out of that, you know, oh, mommy, oh, dad kind of situation like, no, ma'am. You, you came here to be a devil dog. Okay. So you got to go through hell. Now this is welcome to hell, you know? So Jeff to me is like a a lot nicer than a drill instructor, but you know, you can tell that he relishes in the suck of the situations, you know, and that's something that drill instructors, you can see it on their face. It just makes them happy. You know, if it's a billion degrees outside and you got to slap sticks and drill outside, you know, it makes them happy that you are getting that particular iron strike, you know, but iron can only sharpen iron and you come out of that machine like, like you're supposed to, you know? So I'm hoping that I come out the other side of this being, you know, the toughest survivor there is, you know? So I feel like boot camp prepped me for this, you know, even though it's 2017, you never forget that. Oh, swallow. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it might be a fun direction for the show if Jeff opened it up and said, welcome to hell. <laughs> I mean, listen, we had the monster. Mm-hmm. We now have the grittiest season. I think we're only a couple clicks away from Jeff coming out with devil horns, just saying, like, you've reached the 10th circle of hell. Mm-hmm. Survivor 48. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he wants to be a drill sergeant, though. No, but I mean, very Maybe much the opposite, right? Yeah, considering the the warmth that he wants to bring in. But this is, I think, something that can really lend credence to Sabaya is that obviously, especially in the new era, you are tested arguably more than ever. Very limited supplies, you know, things like the rice negotiations, actively like taking away your power in exchange for food. Sabaya is going to look at this as a walk in the park in comparison to what she got out on Paris Island. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Back to Sabaya. Okay. Yeah, I can only imagine. So when it comes to, you know, your fellow recruits in this beachside boot camp, 
I mean, you talk about sort of turning the knobs on this radio of yours, right? Between the Southern genteelness and the military aspect. How do you think people are going to perceive you, though, when it comes to when you actually hit the sand and start playing? Oh, man. I'm hoping to keep some mystery about me. Honestly, like, mystery can be good. It can also be bad because there's, like, an element of distrust. You know, oh, I don't really know her all the way. But the good thing about people from the South is you trust us. I don't know why, but (laughs) (laughs) there's something about, you know, if I say, hi, I'm Sabaya, I'm from Georgia. Nice to meet you or nice to meet y'all. Somebody's like, oh, wow, I love her. You know, I could be a killer. That's what I'm going to say now. You know, but it's just, that's how it comes across. It's this endearment, like, oh man, you know, so I hope that they think that I'm warm. You know, I hope that they think I'm a little bit slower because that's another stereotype that we get. You know, oh, she has a a little bit of draw that we can hear. Maybe she's not so smart, you know, but they'd be wrong. You know, and I'm hoping that there's a lot of just misinterpreting and a lot of people being wrong about me. I'm really hoping because if they're right about me, they'll vote me out. And I can't have that. Yeah. So I really, really am just hoping that they're wrong. Um, I have a lot of things in my arsenal that can make me a really big threat. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're driving this truck, right? That is your game. Steer into that curve. That's what you're trained to do when you hit that slippery patch. <laughs> exactly. We're taking this on around the bend, whether we can see the edge or not. Yeah. It's thin. <laughs> so Swallow. that being said, when you're looking... Mike, I mean, you're, so you're like- a national treasure. <laughs> Luckily, there are like two things I know about truck driving, and I hit them both in this mm-hmm. interview. I felt like I did my job. Yeah. Thank Another you. Another person talking about the edge, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about this approach because Sabaya is the only person this season who like has this noticeable accent. Do you buy what she's selling here, Robert? What she's transporting? Do you think people will underestimate her based on the way that she speaks? I don't want to get into if people will underestimate her, uh, but I do think that people will look at her and trust her when she shows up and, you know, uh, she's got a big smile and she says, you know, how are y'all doing? Like, I think that there is, you know, a well-documented, you know, Southern charm that does seem to really no, help. That's another network, players. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some survivors though. Um, And uh, I do think that she is somebody who I think will be very well liked. I completely agree. I I have high hopes for Sabaya. We'll get into it more as this interview goes on. But like between her strength, her like general, you know, personality, I think, which I agree is very easygoing, very friendly. I don't feel like she's really going to bristle with anybody or at least she won't be the one to directly antagonize anybody. And I think the fact that, again, she could be this unifier, she could be the drill instructor of her tribe, just being the one to hopefully get everyone into a proper fighting form. I really don't see her going in Mm -hmm. the pre-merge unless there is some sort of twist in the winds of fate and things change a bit. And then even in a merge endgame scenario, I think, again, we're going to keep bringing up someone like a Jam Jam or even like a Marianne. I think Sabaya could be someone that these people don't see coming. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's go back to Sabaya. Looking at other players 
Is there any like characteristics you're seeking out in an alliance partner and a number one? What are you what are you looking for in those people? Mm. And I, I know this is going to be like kind of like weird, but I'll explain it after I say it. I need people that are innately followers mm. in the beginning. Okay. And so I'm watching for the people that don't get up to put up their plate until they see somebody else do it. You know, I'm watching for people that don't, you know, really act until they see somebody else act. You know, the people that are trailblazers like me, you can't really have too many people like yourself on your team because sooner or later, you know, somebody's going to be a little bit annoyed Mm -hmm. and that's when heads start rolling. So I'm hoping that I can at least, you know, somehow meander my way into a leadership position kind of on on accident because I have natural beta mindset people, mm. like people with beta mindsets. Um, should that not happen, I know I can turn my beta up. You know, I'm a I'm a woman, you know, I'm I'm I know how to scratch somebody's ego. It's not hard, you know. And plus being in the Marine Corps, oh God, you haven't seen some egos can't even fit in the shop, you know. So it's just kind of like a, a a two-step that you do with people that, you know, can't really see outside of themselves. And so I'm prepared for both, but I'm hoping that it's the former and not the latter. Okay. Yeah. Well, well uh, uh, I'm sabayan in, Mike. Um, I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bringing that sabeta energy. I think it's <laughs> such a good perspective to have that she is coming from what I would say is like an incredibly masculine environment yeah. in the Marines. And this idea of like, just because of who you are, almost having to like minimize yourself or perhaps be a bit supplicant to feed egos. I mean, when people are starved for both attention and food out there on the island, that's the perfect person to be. They're not looking at you. They're looking at this other person. This is Bait Blake, no? (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah, I'm just uh, feeling like uh, this is just going to be a cakewalk for her after the boot camp and everything. So yeah, I'm feeling really good. And I feel like that there's such a vacuum of leadership in these tribes in the new era. And so so she wants to step up and be the leader. Everybody else is going to be, please, either please take it. Yeah, if she's not the leader, she wants to sort of be like the consigliere, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like the person that's like feeding the ego of leader, almost like what Todd and Amanda were doing to Aaron in Survivor China. Of like, great, you take all that target stuff, I'll be the one actually making the decisions behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen the person yet in this tribe that is going to be stepping up to become the leader before Sabaya. So I think that it's hers if she wants it. Totally agree. Okay, all right. Back to Sabaya. Yeah. So when it comes to, as you mentioned before, sort of sizing people up right now, I mean, I know you can't exchange words, but like, are there specific people that you're eyeballing right now due to their behaviors or the way they come across? Describe to me some of these people that you might be saying like either, yes, if we pick up the same buff, I'm good to go. Or you're a giant red flag. Like I'm voting you out as soon as I can. Describe those people to me because I'm sure you're making judgments about them. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. From day one, I've just been like, okay, well, hope they're, you know, hope they're with me. Um, I would say definitely the tall Asian, I think he's like Asian and white uh guy. He looks like Tarzan, really beefy guy. You'd know him if you saw the Johnny him, Tsunami I type. Need muscles on mm-hmm. my team. So I'm hoping he's on my team. He, also, he seems like he has a really positive attitude. He seems like he's really 
kind of like more so like a gentle giant. So that could work, you know, maybe he needs somebody to help him make those decisions. And I'm, I'm help, happy to listen to you and happy to pitch in, you know, <laughs> um, that's really, uh, mm, no, I will say the other guy with the Afro, now he's a little bit quirky and you can tell that his pat he's very passionate and a little bit charismatic you know he has the whole you know dancing all the time you know he doesn't even he doesn't have any music playing but you can tell that he just his heartbeat is his instrument you know and you got to have somebody in your alliance that keeps you laughing I know like when we were in boot camp and stuff like that or just on deployments and stuff you got to have somebody that's just carrying the morale so um, I feel like that could be really good for an alliance, you know, having somebody that has that sense of optimism in the worst case scenario. Sometimes you need that when your back is against the wall and everybody's got an idol, but you, it's like, oh man, this sucks. And he's like, no, you know, if you just turn it this way, we might be able to scoot on out of here, you know, and I need that. I need that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like those two, you know, if we end up on the same beach, we might see what's going on. Yeah, we might have some words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me give you a scenario. Let's say maybe you're on a beach, maybe with these people. Uh, You're in your tribe pre-merge. A boat comes to the beach. Person gets out and they say, as a tribe, you got to pick one person to go on a journey. And you know, this can come with good things. This can come with bad things. You've seen previous seasons. What's your Mm -hmm. tactic here? Are are you stepping up to volunteer? Are you trying to like, will someone else to go? What, What are you using to approach this scenario? Anybody but me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to treat that with the Sandra motto. Anybody but me. Because I understand that this is a game of give and take. And right off the jump, I don't got much to give. You know, but I know they got, they could take my vote. um, For however many tribal councils, Lord of mercy, they might take it till the merge. We never know. And uh, I need my vote. vote. Voting is the only currency you've got in this game besides just general likability. So, yeah, I, I, we're going to have to fix the sticks or whatever the girl did, you know, fix the rocks. Or whatever. I'm going to be the one passing out the sticks. You don't see that that much. I'm not, not going to allow myself to get God. And I hope that Swallow. I have people that are kind of open. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so far we are, what, five out of six tribe members so far saying they don't want to go on that first journey? Somebody's um, going to have to go. And really what Lauren ended up doing in season 44. Please, has, Rob, her name is that girl. Yes. <laughs> um, that She uh, really, I, I think, uh, carved out probably like her most memorable thing is that she like uh, cooked the rock draw to go and end up being the person to get an advantage. Yeah, not to spoil, maybe not even this season's interviews, but perhaps a future season's interviews. Lauren's systematic rigged rock draw is very much at the top of mind of these survivor contestants. So interesting. It's so it, it, that such a minor thing, like at the time, and I didn't even really remember it until there started to be some talk about like, okay, Lauren is at the final five. What did she like? And that was like one of her big like resume things. But yeah, this is very much stuck in the mind of future players. Yeah, uh, we should also mention here going back to again the first impression stuff. Sabaya, big fan of Caleb. Yeah. So okay, that's good that for him. If if she said I don't like Caleb, I would be worried about him. I completely agree. But no, she wants him. She wants that fun loving aspect to him. So even if Hannah feels like he's a bit of a pick me, if Sabaya is being perceived as arguably one of the most safe members of the tribe. And we don't know tribe, necessarily that's who she was talking about. 
that's true. That's true. I might be speaking out of turn here, but if Sabai is perceived as like the person who's the most safe on the tribe due to her various qualities, and essentially like Caleb's her come with guy, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's such a great shield for her. So yeah, yeah I'm really, I, I'm liking everything from Sabaya. Okay. All right. Over ambitious and chomping at the bit to play right off the bat because, I mean, just because they have the clue or they were told where the idol was doesn't mean that they're the one that can find it. Um, Russell Hans found three idols in his season without any clues. Yeah. And did it again and again and again. So Tony, you know, he was finding idols without clues. It's, it's just how much do you got in the tank? You know, how much are you willing to give in that regard? Now, in that regard, if we're talking to just pure spirit and can do, I got Way much, way too much. <laughs> oh, but as far as my vote, that's not up for discussion. Not this early in the game. No, sir. Last, certainly not least, you get All to right. pick a celebrity or a fictional character to bring out for a loved one. Well, who are you picking and why? Do they have to be alive? No, they can be whatever you want it to be. Whatever I want, because it's, it's a hypothetical anyway, right? 100%. If I could bring out anybody, I would bring out Kobe Bryant. Rest mm. in peace. Um, I feel like this game was made for him, too. If he was out here, he would be definitely with the best of them. Um, just that attitude of no matter if my, my ankle is rolled, my hand is broken, whatever's going on, I'm going to win. And I need some of that. You know, I need those types of talks and that the level of strategy, his ball IQ, it changed the game. You know, like you're talking about the predecessor of Michael Jordan, you know, like he carried the ship until, you know, the LeBron era. So I feel like I need some of that Mamba mentality on this beach. And I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I'm a huge Kobe fan, you know, like that's actually for my audition. Um, I wore a jacket that had, you know, Kobe on it. It had number eight Kobe when he was doing the dunk contest. But um, mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite people to ever be a person. Um, and it's just because no matter what he was doing, he was the most he could possibly be. And I feel like I'm like that. You know, I'm wired that way where I'm not trying to compete with anybody but who I was yesterday. Um, so I would have to have Kobe out here, you know, just sit kneecap to kneecap and be like, okay, well, what am I doing wrong? Because I know that you see something that I don't see. <laughs> yeah. And then we can talk about what I'm doing right. But I know he would pick it apart and be able to give me, you know, a very good strategy going forward. So, well, I hope you're ready to dunk on these people for the <laughs> next 26 days. Cause I think, you know, you got, you got a lot of initiative in you. I mean, you know how to, for lack of a better term, keep on trucking through the worst of it. And I think, oh, you know, I love that. Yeah. But in a game that really, you know, tests you for who you are, I, I just think the headspace you have to like approach it from both the physical, mental, and especially spiritual perspective is, is really inspiring to hear. And I can only imagine how it's going to actually play onto the beach and hopefully the days to come. Well, here's hoping that it plays out and I'm sitting here at the end of it with a million dollars in my pocket. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's manifest it. Let's put it out in the world. This is so nice getting to meet you and talk with you. I, I wish you all the best in, you know, the, the remaining time you have to just sit there and think it through before, you know, your feet hit the sand and you start running and never look back. But I'm, I'm so excited to see what your journey is going to be. Thank you so much. And I, I really don't even feel like it. It's crazy to say, but I don't even feel like this really hit me yet. You know, I was talking to my dad before I left and 
he said, you know, when it's going to hit you, right? And I was like, when, when you think, and he said, when you're on the boats, you know, mm-hmm. like when they show them <laughs> beginning yeah. on the boats and everybody's just kind of looking off into the distance and, you know, we're all just like really in depth. And then we step out and we're on the beach on those mats. Now it's going to be game day, you know, game day mode. So I can't wait. And thank you so much for having me. Mike, tell me, am I misreading or I feel like that you seemed very won over by Sabaya. I was won over by a lot of these people. I had a really good time talking with this cast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I was uh, taking in some of the magic that you said she was going to bring. Maybe it is just the accent, but she just seems yeah, so. I think she had you under the Sabaya spell by the end of that. <laughs> Listen, I'll willingly fail that uh, that saving throw to be under that spell. I really enjoyed getting to talk with her. She just has such an affability about her. And I feel like that coupled with the natural discipline that comes from her history mm-hmm. in the Marines as well, yeah. I think is is a really deadly combo, like, uh, like yeah. a Mamba. Now we'll see, will she be a Kobe or will she wind up in a Kobayashi Maru? Yeah. Perhaps, uh, yeah. yeah, no-win scenario for Sabaya. Yeah. Uh- she was somebody that admittedly, I, I didn't really see it yesterday. I just, from the picture yeah. and the bio, she was somebody like, okay, you know. Um, but no, I really was uh, super impressed from uh, hearing her talk about her game and what she's bringing to the table. So yeah. very excited to see her play now. All right. We got one more person to talk about. It's Sean. Okay. Yes. Sean Edwards. So originally a New Jersey resident, but residing out West in Provo, Utah. He is 35 years old and he is an elementary school principal. Okay. All right. So let's bring in uh, the conversation here with Sean. And here we go. Last one. Hello. Hello. Oh my God. Goodness, hello. I feel like I'm meeting with a celebrity right now. Oh, oh my goodness. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, but I need, we need oh, to be properly too- introduced. I'm Mike. Very nice to officially meet you. Give me uh, give me the bio line. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Yeah, my name is Sean Edwards. I'm 34 years old. I live in Orem, Utah. I'm an elementary school principal. Awesome. How long have you been doing that for? This is my first year as an elementary school principal. Prior to this, I was five years a high school vice principal. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like moving up, but moving down at the same time in a manner of speaking. Yes, yes, totally. In so many different ways. So what brings you out to play Survivor? A very different type of, you know, environment than the classroom. They're probably just as unruly. Uh, Yes, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be like totally crazy out there. Um, yeah, you know, Survivor has been a part of my life ever since season one, episode one, and I've followed the show. I've been a super fan for so long. I've wanted to play Survivor ever since I was a preteen teenager. And um, for the longest time, I just never had the confidence in myself to actually apply. I never thought I would get a chance. I never thought I'd be casted and just wouldn't get this opportunity um, because I, I grew up in a very kind of conservative niche and being gay um, was, you know, incredibly complex for me. And so um, I just really internalized 
internalized a lot of beliefs in such a way where I just didn't believe in myself. Um, Mm. So now fast forward so many years, I'm at a spot in my life where I'm finally like open and free and I'm just like ready to be authentically me. And I finally have the confidence to say, not only can I apply, get on the show, but I can win. Yes. Talk to me about. Yeah, Mike. Uh, so great stuff from Sean. Uh, always a, a great lesson. You know, back at the time where I played Survivor, that it was very important that you know uh, they they really wanted people to uh, believe in themselves. That they, they actually they put up a, a big sign that said "Believe in yourself" when you when you yeah. were on Survivor. Now, did the subsequent burning of said banner mean that the message didn't exactly get across? Uh, I believe it was also uh, a, uh, a vice principal that came in to uh, bring in that sign also. Oh, is Sean going to bring his own banner, you think, for his tribe? That'd be great. It'd be great. Bring I mean, it back. It'd be fantastic. So what I am a little nervous about with Sean, I love his energy, first yeah. off. Just so absolutely infectious. Now, I know that Brandon was referring to old lanky blanky Dweeb City Drew when talking about like, okay, neither can live while the other survives. Could this actually apply to Sean, who I think similarly alongside Brandon has this again, gay one died in the wool. This is my dream come true type of energy. Um, I don't know necessarily if that's the case. You know, I think that there's a, a lot of different ways that uh, this tribe could go. I mean, let's see if, the rest of what Sean has to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go back. Oh, that process. Was it a matter of like finding the right environment or like gaining confidence in yourself? How did that, that beautiful metamorphosis end up happening? Yeah. Great question. So for me, um, kind of rolling it back a little bit again, growing up Mormon and gay, incredibly hard. Um, I started conversion therapy as a minor, which is now banned in so many States because I was so set on trying my hardest to live a faithful Mormon straight lifestyle. And so that was really, really challenging for me for so many years Um, I went and did a two-year Mormon mission. And so I was like in, I was in it, right? Um, Now, fast forward a little bit to after my mission in 2013, I was really having a hard time just trying to find myself. Who am I? What type of space do I take up in this world? Who do I want to be? And in 2016, after really going through this mental battle, I decided that the best thing I can do for myself, the only way I'm going to be truly happy is to be authentic and true to who I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I told my parents, I said, I'm going to start dating men and I'm going to be committed to being myself and living uh, my truth. So very soon after doing that in 2016, I met my now husband, Matt, and my husband, Matt, and I are huge fans of the show. It was one of our very first connection points when we started dating. And I mean, at our wedding, we had a soda bar, you know, so Mormon of us, soda bar. But um, we had a drink at our um, mocktail bar called The Tribe Has Spoken. So, I mean, Survivor is a part of our lives. And I just remember after watching season 40, Winners at War, Jeff Probst came on the screen and said, hey, you, if you want to be on Survivor, all you got to do is apply. And I, that was my moment of, that was like my spark. I was like, I, 
I'm finally at a place where I can do this. I have yeah. the support of my husband, of my family. I'm in a really good spot. This is a dream of mine. Let's do it. Yeah. So Swallow. let's look back on the. Yeah, Mike. Hell what yeah, Sean. A tribe is spoken. Uh, mocktail. Oh boy, something that'll be lights out for you, mm-hmm. much like Jeff's torch snuffer. Uh, I would imagine it's pretty. Although it was a mocktail, yeah. so I think uh, nothing really knocks at it. Let me just say, hell yeah, Sean. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I'm invoking, you know, Mormon swears in saying that, but it's clear clear he had, uh, uh, or oh my heck yeah, I should say, to quote another Mormon. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly clear that he came from a very tough background, uh, considering that there is a reason why conversion therapy is banned in many, many states nowadays. And again, let's compare this to somebody like Emily, who's like, I have a super stable life. It's a little boring. Let me try to do something new. Here's Sean, who's like, I just settled everything down in my life. Now let me do what I want to in Survivor. It's just what makes this experience so unique is like the different phases of life that people come into it with. Yeah, he's coming in with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and uh, hopefully it's infectious. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's see more from Sean. The past to speak about your present Give me one Survivor winner and one non-winner that you would say you compare yourself to the most. Ooh, ooh, I love this. Okay, the winner that I would compare myself most to is Todd Herzog, Survivor right. China. I would um, I would imagine, you know, obviously without, you know, uh, putting your words in your mouth, but I would assume those similar backgrounds would help translate to it. <laughs> yes, totally. Um For sure. Right. And not even just on a personal level in the fact that he also grew up Mormon. He identifies as gay. He lives in Utah. I mean, there's so many different personal connections, but also in terms of gameplay, I feel like he was able to go out there and create really strategic partnerships with people that he was able to leverage him further in the game. And when, you know, someone no longer served his gameplay needs, he said, Frosty, goodbye, see ya. And I feel like that's totally something I'm going to be able to do. I totally, you know, am going to be able to make and uh, have those relationships to further myself in the game. A non-winner, I would say, oh, so so many good options. I mean, the first person that comes to mind is Suri. I love Suri. I know she's a fan favorite. I'm sure you, so many people tell you that all the time. Suri, Suri. But for me, she is so genuine and she is able to be a master at making connections with people. And that's something as an elementary school principal that I have to be a master at as well. It's something that I've practiced in my professional life, in my personal life. And so connection seeking and building is going to be a strength of mine. So you talk about being a super fan, so you obviously know practice hopefully makes perfect in the game of Survivor. Talk to me about your preparation. When you knew that this was going to become a reality, what what have the past few months been in terms of getting ready for this moment? Yeah, the I mean, a lot of preparation. I know it may not look like I've been going to the gym, <laughs> but I... I have been um, physically preparing for Survivor for sure. I mean, for me, it was, it's been a lot of endurance training. So you'll catch me on that stair stepper for hours, just going, building that cardiovascular and respiratory endurance. I feel like that's definitely important. Um, And then I've also been doing, you know, lots of like mind puzzles, trying my husband and I found this like 3D puzzle that we like um, building and creating together. And so we've been doing a lot of not only physical, but also mental practice as well. 
how do you think people are going to perceive you in the game? Because you come from a position, right, where people are relying on you every day and certainly viewing you in a, a certain way. Does that translate over to the game? Or do you think in this very different situation, people are going to view you differently? That is such a great question. I think people are going to view me differently than people that are familiar with me and people that know me in my everyday life. When people first meet me, they really think that I'm just here for a good time. I'm the life of the party. I, you know, don't have any agenda. I'm just here to have fun. Um, but really, um, and another thing people really think is they always assume that I'm younger than I really am. And so when mm. people find out my age, what I do for a living, they're always shocked and surprised. And I think people are going to perceive me as someone who's a lot younger than I really am. Um, and so hopefully, you know, I'll be able to use that to, to my advantage. Interesting. Yeah. From a, like an occupational perspective, Obviously, you know, as a principal, I'm assuming you are facing so many different fires that you have to put out at so many different times in a game where fire represents your life. How are you sort of translating those skills? Do you feel like your day to day will help in the game of Survivor ultimately? Oh, for sure. My day-to-day -day life as an elementary school principal, I am going to bring so much of what I do into this game of Survivor. I mean, one, one thing right off the top of my mind is, again, those relationships. I mean, my entire career is founded on the importance of human connection. Mm -hmm. I just finished um, my um, doctorate degree at the University of Utah as well, and my entire doctoral research was on human connection. And oh, wow. so that is something that I'm very well versed in, that I feel very confident in. And that is something I'm going to be able to bring into the game, connecting with people on a very meaningful, personal level. And those connections, they're going to be real. We're going to make friends. We're going to have fun. But this is a game. This is Survivor. And I'm not here sitting on a beach in Fiji to make friends. I'm here to win a million dollars. So we can be besties after I vote you out. But the connections will still be real. Swallow. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bet he's a great principal. Like, yeah. I, I would be thrilled if I went to parent-teacher night and then Sean came out and was the principal. And I, I mean, not to say I, anything disparaging about the principal of my kid's school. <laughs> no, he's the exact opposite of Mr. Belding. Like, mm -hmm. he seems so yeah. cool. I mean, he is also, he talks in his bio, he is the first openly gay principal in his school district. Yeah. His His program preaches a lot of DEI as well. So, like, He's also uh, coming in there trying to buck a lot of traditions while doing it with a smile. And not to conjure the edge of extinction uh, again, but uh, I, they're all I doing see it a anyway. visit to the Ron Clark Academy in Sean's future. Oh, yeah. How much does Sean know about the founding fathers? I want to mm -hmm. see a rap be performed. I mean, Sean is just a ball of sunshine. Just looking at the way he's consistently smiling... And that's an energy that not to say he puts it on, but I feel like that is something you have to do, especially in an elementary school environment where you are dealing with so many young minds. And unfortunately, in a culture that we live in, so many dangerous things out there. He has to be the one to lead the troops in a different way that Sabaya does. And so I do think he also maybe has this sneaky leadership quality to him as well. Mm -hmm. What I will find interesting is we have the school principal and we have the therapist probably competing to be like, that you know counseling voice when it comes to these tribe members and i'm intrigued to see who will win out okay all right let's go uh back to sean so talk to me about those connections possibly manifesting in a strategic way 
what are you seeking in an ideal alliance partner? What characteristics are you looking for in a number one? For sure. Something that I value, again, bringing my everyday life into the game because it it will serve me so well. I am looking for alliance partners who are going to think differently than me. I feel like diverse perspective is very important because people who think differently differently than me, they're going to be able to see nuances in the game. They're going to be able to suss people out. They're going to be able to have ideas that maybe I'm not going to readily see, notice, um, or be able to come up with on my own. And so definitely someone who thinks different than, differently than me is important, as well as someone who's also going to buy into my ideas. So let's translate to the human aspect of the people sitting around you. Are there any people that from a first impression you're saying like, okay, this person, if we draw the same buff, fantastic, best case scenario. And on the other hand, are there certain people that you're judging and saying, okay, giant red flag here. I'm writing your name down as soon as possible. Of course. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, seeing everyone here, everyone is looking at each other. You can see people like sussing each other out. So yes, I've had that thought like, okay, I'm reading your energy. I'm reading your vibe. I'm right there with you. Let's do this. Let's go. And there's other people that I'm like, okay, like, are you going to be someone I'm going to be able to get along with? Your body language is telling me you're closed. I don't know. I'm a little hesitant. At the same time, I also want to be very cautious and careful, and I want to think about implicit bias and how that's influencing my thoughts about others. So really, really, truly, I do want to come into this game. I want to give everyone a fair chance, a fair shot. Even though I may have some preconceived ideas, I'm going to try my best to give everyone a fair chance. Let me present a scenario to you. So yeah, it's not not as juicy, but that's the the principle in them. I mean, that's the principle in him, though, right? Like, it'd be a little weird for him to come in and be like, uh, yeah, this person sucks. I don't want to work with them. And that, I think, is an interesting quality. You know, this gets talked about a lot with teachers that play. I remember talking to Tommy Sheehan about it of like, yeah, you think your kids are going to react well to you, like blindsiding someone and ending their dream for a million dollars. And I think with a lot of teachers, they said the kids actually want us to, you know, play that game. But I do wonder from Sean's perspective, he has to lead this like open mind, good energy perspective. Is that something he can necessarily turn off in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is something where, you know, a lot of other people aren't sort of like tethered to how they play the game by their occupation. But he's somebody who probably does. Yes, he needs to, you know, uh, play hard. But I think there's probably like a limit to just like how duplicitous and underhanded like he can be without Mm -hmm. like having to answer for just some like tough questions when he gets home. I mean, and the tough thing about this fan base is that inevitably, no matter how he plays, he's going to get complaints from people like on the school Facebook page, right? So in that Mm -hmm. aspect, might as well go whole hog. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Let's go uh, last little bit here with Sean. Oh, uh, let's say pre-merge. You're on the beach hanging out with your tribe. A boat comes. Someone steps off and says, pick one person to go on a journey. Now, we know these things come with good things, and bad things. What's your tactic behind this? Are you volunteering? Are you trying to like get someone else to go? How are you approaching this scenario? That is such a good question. I I mean, you're exactly right. Watching the show, you never know like what's going to happen when you go on this journey by yourself. 
not only is the person going on this journey to possibly gain something good or maybe something bad's going to happen, losing a vote, who knows? But the key is that that person's missing from the tribe. The tribe is still moving. They're still talking and having conversations without you. I don't know if I want to initially put myself out there and have that target on my back of what if he comes back with something and doesn't tell us and, you know, we're all going to be talking about it. So um, I think my um, approach would be kind of like the let's draw sticks, let's draw rocks, let's have it be randomized and whatever happens, happens. Um, but I don't know if I would necessarily be like, oh, pick me. Mm. What is your hottest survivor take? What do you think is your most controversial opinion about the show, about a player, et cetera? Oh, oh Mike. Two. I don't, the idols, I don't, too many. Are there too many hidden immunity idols now? And then also production giving people fake idols. Like, I definitely um, forgot they knew about that. Have questions yep. about that. They do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So is that going to influence the way that you are approaching your own game, knowing that, like, if you find an idol in the jungle, there's still a chance that it might not even be real? Yes, 100%. I'm like already thinking if I find something, how do I even verify the validity of whatever it is I find? The only way is to be like, Jeff, I think maybe tell me um, at tribal council. So I'm definitely going to be having questions about anything and everything that I find out there. All right. Last but certainly not least, you know how I'm going to finish off these interviews. Give me a celebrity or a fictional character that you would bring out for a loved one's visit. Oh, uh, okay. 1000% Kiki Palmer. I love, okay. I love Kiki Palmer. And when she revealed herself a few years back as a survivor fan, I was like, yes, Kiki. Okay. And I honestly, like truly thinking about it, I mean, Kiki has such a great magnetic energy about her. I would love to bring her out as my loved one and pick her brain and be like, hey, Put yourself in my shoes. How would you play this game? What would you do next? Because Kiki as a social human, as someone with this positive energy that she just radiates, I mean, I feel like she could win the game. So that's that's my choice. Perfect. I hope she's not listening to this saying like, I don't know who this man is. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to this man. She'll get to know you soon though, considering she <laughs> he called her out. <laughs> I don't know this man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, boy, you really uh, tickled Sean there at the end. I yeah. mean, Kiki Palmer, possibly Rob, when you and I inevitably do a brain steal of all the celebrity survivor fans to play in a fictional season, Kiki Palmer might be a chalk pick to win. What about Kiki Palmer and LC for Blood versus Water? Oh, that's a good one as well. As long as Kiki Palmer's loved one isn't Usher, I think we should be okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Mike. Oh, my God. We did it. We did it. Six people down. One tribe. Now, this is really interesting. I, I want to talk through actually a few uh, minute details before we get into like reviewing this tribe overall, just because there were a few elements from the bios that I want to highlight. Some personal details that I wouldn't be surprised ends up uh, popping up in their you know packages that we're inevitably going to get. 
Uh, Caleb was asked, who is your, who in your life is your biggest inspiration and why? He said, my dad, who never graduated high school and was in jail for five years, mm -hmm. one and a half in Ethiopia, three and a half in Somalia. It has a degree from Russia along with his nursing degree. My parents have sacrificed a lot for their kids to have opportunities to do better and experience more, which pushes me every day. Sabaya also has an interesting story about her dad. She says her life, her biggest inspiration in life is her parents. Her dad is an immigrant from Jamaica, born into poverty, and now teaches engineering and has three degrees. My mom raised five kids and battled isolation from her own family at times. She never gives up and never accepts the minimum effort. And finally, going back to the guy we just talked about with Sean, also biggest inspiration in life, his oldest sister, Elaine, 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 has autism. She's nonverbal, aggressive, and self-injurious and cannot live independently, although she faces more challenges every day than most other people. She smiles, laughs, and gets through it. I hope to one day have an ounce of her bravery. So even outside of the interviews, I talked about some really interesting personal details about these people. But let's break down, again, should these six people share the same beach? How this will break down? Because I don't know. Rob, like I'm not seeing any huge, this person won't fit in energy yeah. from any one of these six, but inevitably, because again, I don't prognosticate a huge amount of challenge prowess for them. I think Sabaya and Caleb will be their two strongest yeah. performers. I think they're going to be visiting tribal at least a couple times. Yeah. And so I feel like that, uh, you know, Sabaya and Caleb, like, I feel like that that's going to be maybe like at the core. And then I think it's going to come down to like who vibes with them. I feel good about Brandon being able to get along with whoever is in power. Uh, and then I, I think that those are the three that I think are going to stick together. And then I think it's going to be a question of between Emily and Hannah and Sean, maybe who's uh, not fitting in. And as high as I was about Emily, I'm a little worried about her. Everybody else here is like positive vibes, high energy. Uh, she is the one person who is not that. And so while maybe that might be like opposites attract that maybe like that, that will be something that, you know, um, they will look at her as, okay, that's a different skill set than what we already have. I'm a little worried about her. Um, I could see maybe where if Hannah doesn't vibe with like the core of the group, potentially she's a person or, um, if Sean is somebody who, you know, uh, is there's like a, you know, back and forth with Sabaya over the leadership role. Mm. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, I think that I agree. I think we possibly have like a three, two, one happening. Speaking of Sari, the numerous times we did where I again could see a Brandon, Emily, Hannah trio. Brandon and Hannah both want to work with Emily. Emily's very upfront about like, I want people who are authentically themselves and are most like me. And I feel like from a personality perspective, those three just attract to each other. I definitely agree that Caleb and Sabaya are going to be thick as thieves. And I would argue, even though they're only two, they would probably have the controlling mm -hmm. numbers yeah. in the tribe because they're probably the most safe. Sean's a little bit on the outskirts. I think he could get along with pretty much everybody because again, his energy yeah. is so infectious. But Great I do social. Right. But I yeah, I do fear that if and when they lose a challenge, are they just going to go Occam's razor? We need to get rid of our weakest challenge performers. And that's when people like Emily and Sean would be on the chopping block. Yeah. I wonder if Emily and Caleb are going to get along together. I like, feel like that, you know, uh, Caleb is like, hey, fun, fun, life of the party. And then Emily is a little bit like, well, I, I, I may not give you that. Uh, and, the and, tough, how, and the how tough does thing, Caleb yeah. respond to that? 
And the tough thing about that is while Hannah might bristle against that, she knows that she can kind of put on that poker face to be like, I'm going to buy your bullshit in the moment and then sort of trash you in the confessionals. Emily admits that the poker face ain't necessarily there. She's mm -hmm. not even entering the casino. And so I do think if she does have a problem with somebody, she will have a tough time showing it. And that might be something. I mean, look at something like what happened with Geo and Cassidy in Survivor 43, right. let alone hotter Geo. Mm -hmm. uh, this idea of if there is like this butting heads, unless you're something like Baca consistently winning challenges, that's something that often gets bore out in tribal councils. So it's tough, though. Again, I will say that this Survivor New Era is all about a roll of the dice, that any one of these character types, and I feel like this tribe is full of them, can do equally as well, equally not as well. Who knows? Maybe Sabaya gets, like, too big of a head, and people are saying, like, well, she's too demanding. She's the drill instructor. Let's get rid of her. We're not in the army right now. But I also find interesting, something we should keep track of moving forward is, in the premiere, what will this journey be like? Six for six. Nobody wants they to did go. Not yeah, and so I think, much like Sean and Sabaya suggested, I think they're going to go from the random draw. Now, the question is, will they stack it? Will someone try to be the Lauren here, or will it be sort of a bystander effect of, okay, everyone knows that a rock draw rigging is possible, so nobody's going to rig it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it'll be something that we'll be watching for in the premiere, September 27th, Mike, uh, less than three weeks away. I am even more excited to getting to talk through this cast with you, Rob. Really through, uh, I know it was done late at night for me on April 15th, which seems like eons ago, and getting to relitigate all this, going through the interviews and especially talking it over with you. Like, my excitement has been rekindled like yeah. a fire in the Final Four challenge. Well, you did a great job, Mike. Uh, kudos you. to you. And uh, thanks for all of your hard work making all these interviews happen. Mike, what's coming up for you besides uh, two more of these uh, interviews, uh, podcasts with the survivors? Well, in a different universe, in the written sense, I'm also putting out my interviews over at Parade.com. By the time this podcast is released, I should definitely have the first two, if not the first three. Some combination of Brando, Bruce, and Jake will be out for you all to peruse. Of course, you and I will be talking about them as well in their video form. Those are coming out twice a day every day for the next nine days until we've expended them all. Plus, after that, I do have a really fun piece from the production side of things honoring the next generation of cast members in this new era of Survivor, those that they may be uh, passing the torch to quite literally okay. moving forward. Uh, and then some other supplemental stuff as well leading up to September 27th. And then, of course, I'm on the reality TV beat elsewhere as there's plenty of content going on. Of course, at the day this podcast is being released, Rob, it is a big day for Exit Press. I'll be talking to both the most recent Big Brother boot as well as the person eliminated from the Challenge USA. All those interviews are up at Parade.com as well. Lots of other stuff going on on post-show recaps. And I said it before, I'm on Cameo. If you, for some reason, want more of me giving stupid truck puns, I have plenty more in the trailer, I suppose. Uh, so you can reach out there at a Mike Plume type, not only on that platform, but all others as well. Okay. All right, Mike, great job. Thank you all for going on this journey with us, even if nobody from this tribe wants to go <laughs> on a journey. Uh, this was a marathon pod, but we did it. If anybody was looking for the uninterrupted uh, interviews, we'll also have those up on our YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.